and boom, we're good. All right, we're live right. here. So, Adam, we'll do it. Actor, uh, was it inside the actor studio? <laughs> where were you born? Okay. And <laughs> uh, so, the first question: Where was I yeah, born? Yeah, where were you born, and what was what was your childhood like? Uh, I was born in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. Lived there for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and uh, that's like where my whole families lived most of them are still there Mm -hmm. and then when i was like four maybe we moved to uh marietta georgia which is outside okay what's there's some marietta georgia i feel like is famous for something because i i've heard that before there is uh a large kfc restaurant there (laughs) okay that is the shape of a chicken (laughs) <laughs> okay, it's maybe called the big chicken, and I actually lived right by the. Is big that the original KFC? Up. No, I don't think it's no. Well, no, I mean it's in Georgia. The original is, I would imagine, is in yeah Kentucky, but I don't know that that's the case. It might be in like Utah for some odd reason, but um, yeah, I actually grew up right down the street from that Kentucky Fried Chicken, and my aunt was the manager there, so that's okay. why we moved there. Is of the few people that didn't live in Omaha, my mom's only sister lived in. Georgia so she was like hey you know we didn't have much going on in Omaha and um, so we moved down there and we're closer to my aunt so okay and did you uh, were you into sports at all growing up no no we didn't um, I didn't have a lot of money growing up so like I didn't play sports until eighth grade yeah eighth grade Um, I started playing I played football eighth grade year I was like I don't know, 150 pounds. And I played like tackle, you know, like <laughs> offensive tackle. No tackle. <laughs> yeah, it was like terrible. Um, but then I played played football through high school, and then wrestled. Um, but I did. I so in eighth grade when I started playing football, uh, my mom actually passed away shortly after that. So she passed away in like October. So then I moved. So I really only played like half a season of football, like yeah. before I ever even played high school football <laughs> so it's kind of wow. wild um yeah so then I moved to nebraska lived with some relatives um who call my mom and my dad now um now did you was did was there a father in the picture growing up no no my um my parents had gotten divorced like right before i was born okay so that's kind of like one of the reasons why you know when i was like three we moved to georgia yeah. just to kind of get out of the there in Georgia, like Atlanta was booming at the time. My aunt tried to get more people to move down there because all my uncles and stuff were in like construction and trades. And in the 1990s, Atlanta was exploding, like massive, massive growth. And you go to it now, and it's like it looks like a completely different city from the sure. one I grew up in. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah. So we moved down there and lived there for like I don't know, like 10 years or something. I was like 13. My mom passed away. Went to go live with relatives. Lived there eighth, ninth, tenth grade. After tenth grade, um, I like had to mature like super quick because of that. I can you imagine. Know what I mean, so um, just we had I had like a falling out, and then I ended up moving to go live with my like actual dad, my uh, my biological father, and my mom. When had- did you make? When did you? Start forming a relationship with him. So, like, I, I kind of knew him, you know, when I was growing up. Like, I, we'd go there for a couple weeks in the summer sometimes. But, like, he didn't really have any money. And my mom didn't. My mom would always say he's, like, a piece of crap. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, 
And so when I was, you know, 16 or whatever, after sophomore year, I wanted to go like live with him. And as luck would have it, it was interesting. I have a brother and a sister and they, and we didn't grow up with him at all, really. They were both living with my dad at the time. And so then I left Omaha and moved to uh, North Carolina. Now, did you and all three of same? us were in my dad's house. Did you share the same mother? Yeah, yeah. We all had same parents. Okay. So we never, none of us had ever lived with him ever like for an extensive period of time and, and then, then somehow all one by one we like all ended up, ended up there. at wow. his house yeah and this uh, is back in omaha no this is in north carolina so i left omaha okay. when i was 16 and then said i want to go live with my like real dad you know uh amongst other reasons but mostly i just like kind of wanted to know him mm-hmm. right and um like growing up my mom was always like he's a you know piece of crap sure. and all this kind of stuff and then i found out that that was all true she wasn't lying <laughs> um so yeah, so then I pretty much ended up f- like halfway through junior year. Uh, so I was only there for like six months. Halfway through junior year, I ended up, my sister had moved out and I went to go live with her and her boyfriend. And then subsequently husband, or subsequently fiance, husband, now ex-husband, now she's remarried to another guy with kids. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I lived with... Uh, now, just real quick, it, with you and your two siblings, where do you fall? I'm the youngest. You're the youngest. Yeah, I have, I have, my mom had a huge family. Mm -hmm. Like she had a bunch of brothers and sisters. She had seven brothers and three sisters. Um, Two of the sisters died when they were like young because of like, you know, diarrhea. Like back in the day, if you got diarrhea, you were like a goner, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I I have 27 cousins, first cousins. So of the 30 of us, I'm the youngest. So I have like cousins that are so old that they have kids that are older than me. Wow. Like that's how spread out the family is. Like oh. my oldest uncle, I think was born in like 1935. I mean, he's passed away now, but, and then my mom was born in 1950. Yeah. Interruption time. <laughs> okay. Chris Vu. Hey, hey man. What's up, Chris? He got you on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Take it easy, Chris. Hey man. Um, yeah. So they were, they were pretty spread out. You know, they were like, like, I think it was like 1933, to like 1955 so my grandma was having kids for like 22 years which is like insane but that's what you do when you're catholic in the <laughs> in the in the you know early 20th century um so yeah so no i'm the youngest and so my sister kind of like took care of me those last couple of years of high school and uh and then when i went to college whenever i'd come home i would go home to north carolina and uh see her and then um Unfortunately, she got a divorce right when I was finishing college. So what? So you mentioned very quickly in there that you wrestled. Where did you wrestle and for how long? Because when you when you first came to the gym, it was noticeable. Like, okay, this guy. Oh yeah, had yeah, some yeah. sort of and and I didn't uh, you, so honestly. The, I didn't know if it was if it was. I heard oh it's combatives. Oh it's wrestling. Oh it's both. I so so where I did got you I got my how long? yeah I got my start in high school. I wish that's one of those things like like. You know, if I have a kid, I'm gonna start him when he like can walk. You know what I mean? Or, or even her when she can walk, right? Like, <laughs> and like even before jujitsu, like one wrestling is cheaper, and two, like if you have a if you have a good base in wrestling, like it. In my opinion, it's like if you look at like UFC champions, or it's the best thing to like to be able to defend yourself, mm-hmm. um, like in a fight. I think, um, and like the you know, a lot of guys who are you know elite ufc champions especially even these days you just have to have a good Mm -hmm. base of wrestling so i started um so i was playing football 
in Omaha. And it was, I think I just got done with my sophomore year. Yeah, sophomore year of wrestling or of uh, football. And I was like weightlifting. And then the wrestling coach of my high school, which was like a, at the time and, and still kind of so, it was like a big powerhouse football school. Um, the One of the um, Heisman Trophy winners from Nebraska went to, it was Millard North High School. And so I wanted to go there. And, you know, I was like, Five, 5'11 so I'm not going to college but um, the wrestling coach saw me and he was like hey you know you want to wrestle and I was like no nah, you know I play football he's like well make you better football and I was like uh, make you a better football player and it's like yeah okay you know I'll give it a shot and um, I've heard that a lot because yeah, they fall yeah, in yeah. different seasons so it's a way to stay yeah. in shape and get tougher the only issue is it weight is. cutting it is and so there weren't a lot of guys from the football team that wrestled but there was uh, one guy who was like super jacked, super, super jacked. He played like fullback and linebacker and he was super nice. And um, he was like, kind of like showed me the way of it. Uh, his name was Joel Kelp. I'll still remember. And he, um, he ended up getting like, I think he won a state championship uh, his junior or senior year or something like that. In Georgia? In, in, in Nebraska. Oh man, yeah, that, that's Nebraska. a, that's not a, yeah, that's an accomplishment. So, but, you know, like you go in your first year, like I think I chipped my tooth. I still chipped almost like 20 years later, uh, like the, in the first week. <laughs> and um, and I sucked. I was terrible. But by my junior year, I had moved to North Carolina. And then I got a little bit better. Senior year, I was pretty good. Um, but never like, you know, was a state placer. Didn't win anything really. I didn't get pretty decent at wrestling until like after I was done with college. So in college, I went to West Point. Um, you have to do like an intramural sport if you don't play a varsity sport. So for the first two years I played rugby, um, on the academy's team. Um, didn't, uh, there was like some stuff I didn't like, like at the end of my freshman year, I was like in the top 22. So I was like on the varsity. So, like, there's 15 players on the field. Then you have, like, the subs. So, that makes up 22 players total. So, by the end of the year, I was in the top 22 as a freshman. And then I came back my sophomore year, and I was, like, on, like, the third team or something. I was like, how did this happen? Like, <laughs> I'm just bigger and stronger, and, like, how, how did this happen? Um, so, then I, I, like, got – I injured my ankle or something, and, like, I, I, like, sat out for a weekend, and I was, like, chilling, you know, like, at the academy – you're super busy all the time. And I like chilled for a weekend. I was like, Oh, this is kind of nice. And so I just quit, man. I was like, I'm not, I'm not playing. The coach is a jerk. Uh, I'm hurt. And I'd kind of like some more free time. So I quit the rugby team, uh, my sophomore year. And then if you don't play like an actual inter, you, you have to do an intramural, right? So intramurals were like, uh, it's weird. They had like grappling and wrestling, like two different seasons. <laughs> so you could do like both of those things. So I did both of those. What was their them. definition of grappling? So grappling is is kind of like ghetto jujitsu, kind of basically. Okay. You wear um, you wear like your army fatigues. You just turn the top inside out so the pockets mm -hmm. aren't exposed. And then you know you can like collar choke people and armbar people and stuff like that. Um, but actually, let me think. I think when we when we actually competed. I can't remember if we were wearing singlets or not. I know for wrestling, they give you singlets. I can't remember if the grappling was like no gi or if it was with the, the fatigues on. But, and so I was like the coach. 
of like the grappling and the wrestling teams. And so I'm like, I only knew like a few things that I think I had learned on like YouTube or they maybe had some people from the PE department, like give us some basic instruction, but it was really all just like, it was like, it was like going again. It was like white belt, you know, like was there any competition with other, cause I know intramurals at other universities will sometimes compete like, Oh, so this at West Point, it's only amongst yourselves or did you ever like travel to another campus and, and do something? No, for these kinds of things, it was like, they call it company athletics. Okay. And so the academy is organized, like there's the whole core of cadets and then you have four regiments. And then under that, when I was there, there were eight companies. Now I think there's nine. And so you compete against those other groups of roughly 200 people are in a group. So then you'd have like a team of like 10 people. And so there's like your your team and then like 40 other teams or something like that. Okay, so let's 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 back up just a little bit cuz you just mentioned I I was aware of this but I've never talked to you at all of any in depth about this. So you attended West Point. What was the motivation? What what what's the story that led you to uh, applying and being accepted at West Point? Um so like I I was always um like a smart kid. Mm-hmm. So Growing up, my mom was pretty hard on, like, all of us to, like, do our schoolwork and all this kind of stuff. But then the question becomes, like, okay, if I want to... I literally, I literally grew up in the projects. Like, I grew up in, like, government housing. Our rent was, like, 50 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, how am I going to pay for college? So it was like I had to get a, you know, I had to get a scholarship. And so, you know, just like when you're a kid, you did Army stuff and all that jazz. Did um, you have anyone in your immediate family that had served? Yeah, like I had cousins and uncles and stuff like that that had served. But that's almost like by probability, like. Well, like so when I so when I grew up in um, Atlanta, uh, Marietta, my aunt was there, but also my my older cousin who's like literally old enough to be my dad, named Jim, and Jim was an Army Ranger, and so Jim like took me and my brother along with my uncle Bob, who's my my aunt's husband, and we'd go on like camping trips every once in a while and stuff like that, and so. Um, we like knew about his time in the military. And so that was probably like the, my first influence on, um, or like first person who like, I knew that was like in the military and talked positively about it and, uh, stuff like that. So, and then, you know, like when I was, I was like seventh, seventh grade when September 11th happened, um, watched like the invasion of Iraq when I was in like eighth grade, which is wild. You're like a 13 year old kid and you're like literally watching a country get bombed on national TV. And I don't know if like the news like thought about it, but like kids were watching that. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, you got to put it on the news cause it is, but that was like the first war it was like, man, we saw that from start like to, I mean, I don't know if you could call it finished, but literally like watch the bombs drop. It's like daytime too, you know what I mean? It's like daytime at my friend's house. I still remember I was at my friend Micah Rasmus's house in like, it was like April of 2003. And I'm just like watching it on the, you know, TV screen. I'm like, wow, we're like invading a country. I, I didn't really know what to think about it at the time, but um, yeah, man, it was kind of wild. So I knew I had to pay for college somehow. And so I actually you know, everyone was like, oh, if you want to go in the military, like you're smart, you should be an officer. I was like, okay. And so I didn't really kind of, I didn't know exactly what that was. Like I knew what generals were and stuff like that, but I didn't knew that there was, I didn't know that there was like such a distinction like between, um, 
you'd the have ranks a, and you'd stuff. Have such a, a good sense of the hierarchy of yeah, the yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't understand that at all. Um, so then I like I looked into it more, and I was like, you know, okay, maybe this is something I want to do. And so I, um, I actually like applied to West Point. This is junior year, like right near the end of junior year. Applied to West Point, applied to some colleges for ROTC scholarships. And then I actually enlisted in the Army. So I enlisted in the Army Reserves, and I went to basic training. So you signed your contract? Yeah, yeah. So, like, if I didn't get into one of these things, I was going to be, like, an enlisted soldier. And I actually was. I was, like, a private E1 for, like, a while. (laughs) So I went, uh, did basic training after my junior year of high school, and then um, came back and then, like, finished all So just pause real quick. In your mind right now, I'm going to be in the army no matter what. Yeah, but in your mind, the motivation at this point is what? Is like kind of rah, rah, I want to defend the country or more just kind of pragmatic? Like this is the best way for me to get the higher education I'm seeking and it's kind of aligned with what interests me. Like, you know, like there's some people that have a like they have that moment where they're like, I'm going to do this. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, my dad did it. My granddad did it. I'm going to do it. I mean, it, it was sounds a, like you it was were a mixture also, you of were both. like calculating things like, yeah. you know, in order to go to college, I need money. I don't have money. What are some avenues available to me? Yeah. Am I going to get an athletic scholarship? I'm, and you're nah. looking at it and you're thinking like, this is probably my way. And it's not necessarily against what, what I'm looking to do. For sure. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, it was, uh, it was probably mostly, I would say economically motivated. Yeah. Um, because like, even when I, it was funny. So when, in order to get an appointment, to West Point, you have to pretty you have to get a nomination. There's multiple different pathways, but like the the most commonly known one is like you have to get one from your congressman or a senator. So like you literally oh, meet, wow. you literally meet with. Uh, I eventually met my congressman, but you meet with like his people. You know what I mean, like his donors and stuff like that. So they interviewed me at like I think it was like a hotel on a Saturday, on uh, in like Greensboro, North Carolina, and. Um, they're asking, I'm, you know, I'm like, I think I'm 17 or 18 at this point. And they're asking me all these questions about like, you know, my thoughts on like the war and stuff like that. Like while Iraq is going on, it's 2006. You were already enlisted at this point. I'm already, I'm like in my uniform, like enlisted. And I was like. And you were like sitting in a room with a whole bunch of other candidates that were all going to also. They were in the hallway. So like they brought you in one. Yeah. They wanted you. Okay. It's kind of funny. One girl like showed up late and I was like, well, you've got no chance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, so they're like asking me these questions about like the war, and so yeah, it's like 2006 at this point. So Afghanistan has been going on for like almost five years, and Iraq's been going on for two and a half or something like that, or three and a half. And um, I, I had a very like nuanced opinion for like someone who was like that age. I was like, look, I mean, at at this point, I had just read uh, Colin Powell's uh, autobiography called uh, My American Journey. And like he has a doctrine that's basically like before you get into a war, like you know what the end criteria looks like. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you don't because he fought in Vietnam and, and went there like twice or three times. And he saw that like we went there and we didn't, we didn't know we're just going to go beat the communists. Like we didn't know what we were getting into and we didn't know what, what the know, victory looked yeah, like. Right. And so, you know. Like by by 2006, what? Bush had already been on the aircraft carrier with the mission accomplished banner and everything and like flew in on a jet and stuff. But the war wasn't over because nobody had clearly defined like, what does victory look like? Like, what are we going there to do? 
and the whole war had started on like false pretenses, right? We went into Iraq because they tricked Colin Powell into, you know, going to the UN and saying, hey, they got yellow cake uranium, son. We got to, yeah. you know, they got aluminum tubes. Um, I don't know if you've seen that Chappelle show sketch, <laughs> but you know, they, they tricked him. And, and so it's funny. I, I read the biography and he had done, he had published a new version of it where he had an afterward and he talks about that because the book was published before he was secretary of state. Yep. It was after he was a four star generals. So then he becomes secretary of state. They, they trick him into like getting people to support us to go in Iraq. And so the whole war, the objective ostensibly starting out would have been let's go in and, and their nuclear or biological chemical capability, right? Their weapons of mass destruction capability. But it turns out that was all not true. <laughs> so then now what does the objective become? If if you if us if then you're going by the Powell doctrine, okay, we're going in, this is the objective just to, you know, um eliminate this. It like all of a sudden became about like, you know, getting rid of Saddam Hussein and like all these other kinds of things. So that's kind of what I uh, expressed in this interview was like, we don't really have an objective anymore. So like, why don't we just leave? And this is like 2006. And then we ended up staying there for another Jesus. Like, I don't know. I think we kind of pulled out in like 2011 or 12 and then went back in. And so it was just a mess. Same thing with Afghanistan. God, we were there for 20 years, mm -hmm. dude. I went there in 2013 to 14 and I was like, yo, this is a big waste of time. <laughs> like, they do not want us here. I didn't, the country was exactly the same the day I got there as the day I left. And, uh, and then we stayed there for another seven years, dude. It's like wild, you know? And like, I'm not, you know, disparaging like anyone who like feels like they went and they like may have made some small difference. I'm sure. But like in the grand scheme of things, it's like, you know, Taliban's in control of the country. Um, and I don't, and I don't know that us staying there any like longer would have done that. You know what I mean? They're like, Oh, we left so much stuff there. It's like, I mean, maybe we did leave billions of dollars of equipment, but at one point there was probably a trillion dollars worth of equipment there. So we did bring a lot of it back. I was like, when I was there in 2013, like a big part of the mission was getting equipment and stuff out of the country <laughs> seven years before we left we're moving yeah like we're, we're getting out of here and then like back up the boxes guys. Like, geez man i'm like out was unemployed for a year have a career and like now and it's two it's like a president or two later two presidents later obama was the president when i was there then it was trump and then it was biden we finally left like so jesus so let's go back to that 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 interview, yeah. you go in, you're giving a nuanced question uh, because you, you, you know, you've thought about it. You've read books by, you know, you've read Colin Powell's biography, autobiography. Yeah. What, what's their reaction and what happens then? Well, I mean, they don't tell you you got it right away, but then you get like a, you know, you get a letter. It says, and, congratulations, you've been nominated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the funny thing is because I was enlisted, I didn't know this at the time because I had already started this process like before I had enlisted. You have to like do this like your junior year and then the whole process takes a bit because I was enlisted. The only thing that I really needed was my commander's endorsement. It was just like my, I was in the uh, army reserve. All I, the one I, the, I could have had the congressman's. It didn't matter if my commander would have said no, I didn't even know that. So when I was doing the process, I talked to like an admissions officer or something. And he's like, yeah, you got to get your commander's endorsement. And I was like, okay. So I had written to, um, or I just talked to my squad leader, who's like a staff sergeant uh, at the time. And I was like, 
I still remember his name, Staff Sergeant Russell. I was like, hey, I need to talk to the commander because um, cause I'm going to go like, to West Point. And he was like, what? He was like, I mean, I knew you wanted to do it, but I didn't think he was really going to do it. <laughs> and so uh, so I went and talked to him. And, like, you know, he didn't, like, know me too well, but everything, you know, I was a good soldier when I was in the unit. So, um, And at this point, you're – I'm 17. The reserves or are you in I'm basic in, training right now? No, I'm in the reserves at this point. So okay. this is like I've done basic training. Where did you do basic training? High school, Fort Benning, Georgia. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I'm back at high school. I'm going once a month on my weekends and doing drills. Um, and like when I wrestled senior year, like they just let you, they let you miss drill. Like because you're a high school kid, you know what I mean? Like you're excused basically. Um, but then, like, once wrestling was over, I went back to drilling until I eventually went to the academy. So, yeah, I went and sat down with him in his office, and he kind of, like, interviewed me. And he's like, well, you know, I can tell you're you're pretty squared away. And um, then he wrote me, like, a good recommendation. And I, I walked him through the process of, like, what he actually needed to do, right? So I got his, you know, I got his email. I put it in the system. And then he got an email, filled out the stuff, and... And I was able to go. Um, and by the time I ended up leaving, we had gotten a new company commander. And we were getting a lot of new people in the unit. And so Sergeant Russell, everyone in my unit had pretty much gone to Iraq in like 2003, like when the invasion happened. And so they knew that uh, as the unit was getting bigger, that means like they were going to come up on deployment. And so... Um, yeah, he said, if we're growing, we're going. And so we had gotten a new commander. She was a major. Um, and she she kind of, like, saw me off on my last drill. He, she was like, well, you know, like, um, make us proud or whatever. So, um, yeah, they – they so my, the beginning of – I haven't thought about this in a long time, dude. Uh, the beginning of West Point was like, dude, it sucked. Really? But my reserve unit was in Iraq, dude. Like, oh, wow. so uh, they. So ended it up, sucked. Not from, not necessarily from a. It was. It wasn't challenging from a. Oh God, West Point's really hard. No, like, no, I, it was. I'm it sure was. That, but, but what you're saying is everyone you formed a bond with. You're tracking what they're doing over. Bro, you know, if I would have quit, like I would have had to. I would have went back to my same unit yeah. and like missed a deployment to Iraq, a 15 month deployment to Iraq. Wow. So I do, I couldn't quit. That was like one of the biggest motivating factors that like led me to like not quit because like there was just so much bullshit you have to deal with. And, um, yeah, dude, they were in Iraq. So I was like, I can't quit. They're, they're like at war, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so you're like, I that, do like, that or I succeeded this. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. There was like no, and then there was a lot of people like so when I when I um when I left Nebraska after my sophomore year of um, high school to go live with my dad, a lot of people in my family were like, oh, like he's he's because my brother was kind of uh, screw up. He got in a lot of trouble, and so they're like, oh, he's just gonna be just like his brother. He's gonna you know be a, a loser or a screw up or whatever. And so like I was super motivated. Because these are these are people that like you like know that they're like saying these things to other people like in your family, and then like but once I got to West Point, oh this is my cousin Adam like yeah. he's he's at West Point right, and so I couldn't quit like I had to had to keep going for like numerous reasons. There's like 
you have to have some sort of like external like motivation to to keep going in a situation. What like what so what's that first month like getting I mean compare that to you know a tri- like <clears throat> for most people like I you know I go to college I have my orientation you know you're getting accustomed to what that environment's like what's that first month like when you go to West Point. First of all, I, this is going to sound hard. Where is West Point located again? So West Point is in uh, New York State. It's about an hour north of New York City, actually. So okay. it is right up the Hudson River. It's the Hudson River. Okay, I, I would not have thought. I would. I had it pegged somewhere different. Yeah, so like Manhattan, on the west side of Manhattan is the Hudson River. So basically. you fly into like JFK or, or LaGuardia to, yeah, to, to get to there. So yeah. I never visited before I went. Like a lot of people had been on just to go see the campus or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have any money. So I don't have money for a plane ticket to go see it. Um, so yeah. So when I, you, there's like basic training before classes start. Mm -hmm. So you go, it's like the first of July, uh, 2007. And so I get, you know, they give you all these instructions. It's like they, you know, you have like an envelope with, uh, like the stuff that you need or whatever. And they pay for your flight. They book your flight basically. Um, I mean, they don't, they don't, they don't pay for it, but they, they basically like loan you money because you get a small salary, like while you're at the Academy. Were Um, you part of any sort of like GI bill or anything like that? Like when you enlisted, was there any sort of like, we'll pay for your education? Cause I know when I was, I mean, I could have, yeah, yeah. But 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 West Point's totally separate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone who's there is like on scholarship. It's fully funded by the government. And that's probably, and that, that makes sense because of the admission process is more stringent. Yes. Yeah. Right? Because they're getting, you're getting nominated. Yeah. I mean, they say, they say the acceptance rate is like, like under 10%, but that's really based well, on Well, like, wait a minute. How can it be? How can there be an acceptance rate? If you're nominated, that's not enough? Nah. Oh. No. So, so like. Okay. So judge, you get nominated eat, and then. You still have to get in. Yeah. Have, so okay. more people get nominations than get in. Okay. Like I had a friend that I went to middle school with that I still stayed in touch with who got a nomination, had really good grades, got a nomination and didn't get in. Like he would have been my classmate. So you still then had to apply and then they have like an admission. Yeah. Like the, the, app, the application process is like this whole deal. And mm-hmm. so like one of the stop points is do you have a nomination, right? That That's like, you know, 20% gotcha, or something. Gotcha. And then like, I thought the admission happened. process was the nomination, mm. process. but it makes sense because how can you control, how, how can there be this all knowing body that keeps people informed? Like, Hey, we only got 10 nominations left. So you better get yours in if you want to do it. Yeah, no, no. So it's like, there's the, like, it's a multi-step process. So you have to, you know, obviously like have the scores on the standardized test or whatever. You have to like do your transcripts or whatever, but you also have to do um, a physical fitness test. You have to do a medical examination, right? So like you can't get in if you have bad eyes or what's whatever. The physical, all kind of what's stuff. the physical test look like? Oh God, it was like super stupid. It was like you had to like run a mile and a half in a certain amount of time. You have to, uh, they measure like how far you can throw a basketball from your knees, like super random stuff. Bro. <laughs> like, so you're literally down on your knees. And and you like use like like throwing like throwing in with a soccer ball, mm-hmm. you oh, know, so two hands, two hands. Okay. I, I think it was two hands, yeah. And so you have to like try and throw a basketball as far as you can. It's called the cadet fitness assessment. And I can't. I, there's some other stuff too, but that's like one of them. Um, so you have to do that, and then you had to, uh, yeah, do the medical exam. 
then you know then you go through the nomination process all this kind of stuff so they they say like of people who open uh an application like okay I'm, I, let's start an account right and for whatever admission year um by the end of it it's like less than 10 percent. so like i don't know maybe twenty thousand people like start it and then you know 1300 people were in my class or something like that like those are just numbers i pull out of my butt but mm-hmm. um so yeah and but, but it's and then a lot of people like once you're there then a lot of people quit too so that was like another thing for me is because i knew that this guy ray had applied and not gotten in um i didn't want to quit because i literally knew a guy who wanted to go didn't didn't get in like got a nomination didn't get in and i'm like man if i quit like i look like a a-hole to this guy you know what i mean mm-hmm. so that was like another motivating factor right I, don't, I took somebody's spot who you know ostensibly wanted to be here um so i better not quit too so it's like lo- again lots of motivating things to like keep me keep me going what what are the uh in a traditional university they have different majors that you know whether it's physics english yeah history. same thing there yeah okay what did you uh major in uh so originally i was going to major in law just get an undergrad in law because it was very interesting to me but um i applied for a semester abroad in france so i like took some french in middle school my grandma's first language was french my family's all from uh, new orleans and so i'm creole that's why i'm tan year Mm. round um so i wanted to I wanted to learn French and like you have to take a language at the academy anyway. So like French was the language that I was taking. Um, the people in the French department really liked me and I ended up getting a semester abroad. Nice. So at this point, my major was still law. And so I would have had to like gone to France and like taken law classes and like the law department was not being super cooperative with that. Um, so I just said, screw it. And I just changed my major to French. Wow. Yeah, I'm like, dude, I'm going to be an army officer anyways. Like, it doesn't really matter what my degree is. That turned out to be the case. Um, that where, in, where, in, uh, where in France did you study? So I spent uh, the first month of my semester. Like, f- school starts kind of late. It starts in, like, February. Like, the dude, French. Like, people in other countries take so much more vacation than us. It's, like, not even funny, dude. We do not take enough vacation in this country, but... Um, so for the first month, I spent it at the French Military Academy, uh, uh, Saint which is in Bretagne, Brittany. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like really, it's a city called Cote Quidon, uh, which is like close to Rennes, Rennes, France. So it's like the north, northwest kind of, you know, it's like, um, right, it's like right under Normandy. I think Brittany is like right under Normandy. And so for, I spent like three weeks there, bro. Like first day I was there, I like blew the circuit breaker, like on the whole floor I was staying on. They're like, what happened? I was like, I plugged in my power strip and fucking there's an explosion. (laughs) 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 So I like plugged the power strip in. Like I didn't plug it into the transformer first. I like screwed up, but uh, like I plugged in the the thing that changes the plugs, but I forgot about the voltage. You know what I mean? So I just blew the, the power strip, which hit the breaker. And then there's like no lights. And then they, we figured it out, but it was just, <laughs> that was like my introduction to, 
uh, the French military academy. Medica- so I was there for Medica- three Medica- weeks. Medica- <laughs> yeah, so I was there. I was there for three weeks, and then the majority of the time was in Lyon, which is the yep. Lyon is like the second biggest uh, city in France. Mm-hmm. If in you the, more in the south. Yeah, yeah. So you have like Paris, and then Lyon, and then Marseille, and that's like the only train line between those three cities in like all of Europe that actually like makes money without subsidies because it's the three biggest cities in France, mm-hmm. and people are traveling between those all the time. Um. So yeah, I I enjoyed it. It was I kind of got fat when I lived there because so I was just like drinking and eating kebabs. But um, and th- what but year yeah, was, was cool. this? This was my junior year of college, second semester. So that would have been 2010 when I was there. 2010. Yeah, <sighs> man, that's crazy. That's I had just left Europe, so I was in. Europe. Oh really? Yeah, I was in Europe. You were in Spain though, right? In Spain, but then I I traveled around both summers, so it was the end of. Uh, so fall semester 2007, all of 2008, and then a little bit of 2009. That would be my okay. those two years, right? Yeah. How old are you? You're like 35 or 36 or something. 37. Like that? 37. 37. Okay. So yeah, I'm I'm 33. So, so you're like a little bit um, ahead of me or whatever. When did you so graduate college? What year? Uh, 2007. Okay. So yeah. So that's when I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy, man. So how'd you do? <laughs> That was my. That was one of my dreams was to like to learn. Well, not I wouldn't say dream, but it was like one of my fantasies to like. Well, I like Spanish, but I really like French culture. I'm not gonna lie, Spanish I like French so, women. So Spanish is so <laughs> much more useful, though, man. I mean, especially useful. In the like now that I live in Florida and stuff, yes, yeah, it, you know, it comes up. But just I don't. I just like the. I like the. It comes up. What do you I mean like, it comes up? Like it seems like everyone in this gym speaks Spanish. <laughs> and like you know. Yeah. Our head coach's last name Rodriguez. He doesn't speak a lick of Spanish. That is kind of funny. Kind of funny. Um, so okay, so you you were did you just spend the semester? Or did you find a way to to stay there longer? No, I, no, I would have no. stayed there. I would be like, no, hey, man, you can't, can man. I, can I they, they, I, they, we were trying to like sneak it out, but they make you come back for um, the last the last week of the semester. Uh, if it's spring semester, they make you come back for the last week of the semester because it's graduation week mm. and they just need all hands on deck to like do all sorts of stuff for like the guys graduating. Um, so there's okay, like so parades and all sorts of stuff, man. Right. And there's like an influx of tons of people. So oh, there's sure. like guard duty and all sorts of stuff. And so. family members are allowed to attend. Or the graduation? Only, yes. Oh, yeah. And they're like everywhere. They're like in the barracks and, um, and yeah. everywhere. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's madness. People. So you so, had to come back for so that. So we'll continue that, that timeline, but just real quick, um, given that you spent those that semester in France, give me, you know, anytime I speak to someone, an American, you know, that spent time abroad like yourself, there's usually one or two like, I don't know if they're impactful moments of the West Bay, but like cultural things that they see that they never experienced necessarily in the United States or they didn't highlight that they then bring back with them or were just kind of, you know, impactful in some way. Was there anything about being in France from their culture and, and how the people were that surprised you and something that you feel like you liked and brought back with you, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was um, funny to me, like, the weird things like smoking is much more ubiquitous there. I mean, even now still, it's like crazy. Like people who like, you wouldn't look at them as like a smoke. Like, so my wife and I went and visited the family that I stayed with. Like I still um, keep in touch a little bit with uh, the dude who was about my age in the family. 
So you didn't stay. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I stayed. Okay, I, I stayed confused. with. You a, said you stayed in the barracks for the first three. Yeah, weeks, but then I went but to then Leon. You had a host I stayed with the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And so, um, like, we went and visited uh, them in Paris uh, in what was it, 2017? Um, and like the mom, she came uh, to to say hey to me. Because, you know, Albon had told her that I'd be in town. So she said she came in to say hey to me. And, like, we're just, like, chilling in the, you know, it's an old building in Paris where the apartment was. And they just opened up the windows and we're, like, drinking. And there's, like, smoking in the house. Like, bro, nobody. First of all, nobody hardly smokes anymore in the United States. Nobody's smoking in their house. That would be like, oh, my God, that's disgusting. But, like, there's just, like, nobody, you know, like, I guess high ceilings and... Every once in a while, and just open up the windows, and you're good to go. Like, like in the U.S., that'd be like, yo, that's super white trash. Like, you're smoking in your house. But it's like there, nobody cares. It's just like very, it's almost like a fancy thing. Stuff. Um, that's one thing. And then the other thing is like, they're, they're, you know, the cuisine is also different, but the, the attitudes around food are like different in that, like, if you, nobody just, you'll see a guy... Nobody eats on public transport. You, that's like very common in the United States. Nobody eats in the street. Like unless they're at a cafe, like sitting there in a restaurant, then they eat. But nobody just like sits down on a park bench and eats a sandwich. Like it's like they like look down upon it. It's weird. Why would you miss out on an opportunity for so this So I and I had for, I had forgotten about that or something that I didn't really think about. So in like 2017, like my wife and I, we just grabbed some food and we're like sitting on a park bench kind of next to the um, kind of next to the Alpha Tower there's like a huge uh, park where mm-hmm. there's grass Champ de Mars and um, we're just like sitting there on a bench like eating some food and this French guy like, walks by and he like says something rude to me in French and he doesn't know I speak French because he just thinks I'm an American tourist right mm-hmm. and so I like snap back at him I mean I'm like, I'm like what's your problem and he's like what he's like you're eating in the street blah 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 I'm like, I'm like like how about you eat my <laughs> you know yeah. and so but you know i mean like i guess you know now like would i eat in the street probably not but i'd like lived there for like months and i didn't never i was a college kid at the time i didn't notice it was like a thing but now that i think about it, i'm like yeah i guess you never really you don't really see that but it's like pretty common in the u.s you know like no one no one cares about something so trivial as that um but yeah i don't know and then another thing is like we look at we look at French people or other cultures in general. We just like put these archetypes of like what we think they are when like people in other countries are just as nuanced as we are. Right. Like you, we look at the French overall as like, just like some liberal, like, you know, authoritarian or just like, you know, liberal left authoritarian left, like society of like socialism and like all this kind of stuff when like, Dude, there's like super nationalist people there. There's more like libertarian people there. Like just like anyone in the world, like people have different opinions. Now in China they don't because they're not allowed to. But that's not the point. Um, <laughs> we haven't been there. You haven't yeah. been there. Maybe you. <laughs> no, I'm sure they do. They just you, you don't you don't read about it. They get disappeared. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and you know, like we look at that's just like looking at an American and saying like, oh, like this is what an American is. And like, yeah, I mean, there's we're definitely generally more brash and more open with our opinions and things like that. But you know, other countries, well, not, not in some ways. I mean, we, it's very common to speak about 
the three in here with the three taboos in the United States are politics, sex, and religion. Yeah, that's all you talk about in France. I felt like you do those yeah. things. Are, I mean, if you're out with friends, you're talking about sex. Oftentimes, you're talking about religion. Yeah, but and those are, those you talk about, about those things with friends in the U.S. too. It's more like strangers. You know what I mean? Like you don't you don't want to talk about. I, okay, so I'll give right? you that. So it, yeah. that's something that. With people that you've known for less time in France, those yeah. subjects will Oh, come really? Up. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. It's possible. But yeah, so, no, I enjoyed France. I'll, I haven't been in since that, since 2017, so I, I need to go. But I have a lot of places I need to go. So when I, when I got out of the Army in 2016, I had saved up some money, like quite a bit of money. And the whole, the plan was I was going to travel around the world, dude. I had, like like high five figures saved almost 100k like saved mm -hmm. up and i was not gonna work for a, a year and just travel the world and then i met my girlfriend then now wife right <laughs> and uh i didn't if only you met her after the i know i know right <laughs> but uh but i did um like take a year off pretty much from working and you know i did the domestic stuff around our house in savannah um, like when I got out from Colorado, I had just met her and she had moved to Savannah. So I moved down to Savannah, but I did, you know, I went to Australia. I went to her and I went to Mexico. We did a road trip. I went to Europe. So I, I did quite a bit of travel and like now there's like more travel that I want to do. And, but since I've been working the last five years, it's, it's been more difficult. And then, you know, I just got to a point where like, um, I could be doing more, but then like COVID kind of like put a big kibosh on that. Like I have a good friend in Australia. I just talked to him like the other day actually. And, um, I have, I literally, the last time I saw him was like February of 2020. So it was like lucky that I saw him like right before everything kind of kicked yeah. off. But, um, but yeah, we saw each other in Colorado and, um, and he told, he told me he was like going to Hawaii. I'm like, bro, why you live in Australia? Why are you going to Hawaii? Like that's so far. You can go like Bali and like all these other like sick places that are super close. What, what, what where in, is he? Where in Australia does he? Live? He lives in Sydney. Yeah, okay, even Bondi Beach even actually. Even, he showed me his apartment. I was like, dude, I don't know what you pay for this place, but it's like a tiny little apartment, but it's like on the 16th floor. He can see the beach. I'm like man, that's sick. But so I, I mean, I'm, even there to go to Hawaii is 12 hours. It's far because you don't think about it because Australia is so far south. I know, but anywhere you leave the country, even if you want to go to the west coast of Australia, that's still a trek. Yeah, but it's not that bad. I mean, it's like going from east coast to west coast in the U.S. Which mm, is it's not It's not as big. It's not as big. Australia's not quite as wide. Okay. Um, but first of all, there's nothing over there, so no one ever goes there. But it's like a four-hour, five-hour flight to like Thailand. Like, dude, it's it's crazy how like close. And then you think about going to these Pacific Islands for for us, especially in Florida. You're like, oh my god, like that is thirty hours. I'm not, I'm not doing. It. And if I do, I'm staying there for a month. <laughs> and you're like, but I can't afford to do that. So then people never do. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I just go to America. Samoa. So he, yeah, he's going he's going to Hawaii because it's like that's the uh, the only place where they don't have like. The U.S. We don't really have any restrictions anymore. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he's like, <laughs> it was so funny. He's talking about all these other countries. He's like, he's like, all these countries. You got to go there and you got to quarantine. He's like, dude, y'all got more COVID than Australia does. Like, <laughs> why do I got to quarantine? You know? But it's so yeah. He's going to Hawaii. I'm like, man, I've never even been to Hawaii. I'm gonna go eventually. But it's just like, I live in Florida. You know, uh, if I go to if I go Hawaii, pretty cool, man. I know, but if I go, I'm not gonna be like, I don't. I think I'll do some dives because I scuba dive. 
but I want to go see like uh, the you know the volcanoes and like the forest. There's this forest on Maui. It's like these trees, rainbow eucalyptus trees. I really want to see those. Um, I tried to plant one in my backyard in Bradenton, and then we had to move, and my tenant basically killed the tree, and I was like super disappointed. So I don't know if I'll try and grow another one, but <laughs> maybe the climate wasn't right, not wet enough. So. So let 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 let's keep our our story going. So yeah, yeah. you you got back from France. You had your study abroad. At this point, yeah. you've now taken you've switched from law mm-hmm. to majoring in in French. Yeah. How many more years? I only had one more. You only had one more. Yeah, so I only like had my senior year at this left. Point that, yeah. Now at this point, what is the school doing, and what is the expectation for you upon graduation, given that you're going to be an officer? Yeah. So everyone. Um, Almost everyone commissions as an army officer when they're done. So you get out and you're a second lieutenant. And then what do you mean by commission? A commission um, is like literally a piece of paper from the president that says like, um, you know, this is um, you, you are holding an office, right? Like you're an agent of the government uh, now. I mean, not to get like super like legal and technical on it but it's just a term that they use and i don't yeah but it has a lot of legal implications is what i mean right so like if if i called you um let's say if if i if i did something discriminatory discriminatory to you um you know that may be a crime but i'm not violating your rights but people don't understand that. The only people who can violate your rights are the government. Because the very first thing, like whether there's a constitutional question about an incident, is did the did the state do something? Did the government do something? Not did they fail to do something, but did they do something? And so like me, if I were to um, you know, like say for instance, like say something disparaging about the race of one of my soldiers. Like that could be considered like, or, or only send, or like only send the black kid to do something. Like if, if, if your boss at your work did that to you, yeah, that's messed up. And like, there's other laws, but it's not, they didn't violate your constitutional rights. You see what I'm saying? People don't understand that. Like only the government can violate your rights, not your employer, not anybody. Now, if your employer is the government, then yeah. And so like there's a lot of responsibility. Like you're literally an agent of the government. Like you are the state when you, when you take a commission. So, um, okay. So it's, it's it, okay. I, I guess so, so it's like, so that that's basically saying is you are now, I'm, I'm using you one of yours, but you're not just an officer in an organization. You are now an agent of the U S government. Exactly. And along with that comes, a ton of responsibility um, responsibility and repercussions on actions like yeah the consequences to your actions are different from that of a normal citizen they're different than that of a, a non-commissioned officer too of an, okay yeah exactly. so what's what, what how can okay so now i'm, I'm now of course you got me going down the rabbit hole because i think like this what's the how what's the difference between a commission and a non-commissioned officer besides the well one's commissioned and one's not like is there is there a limit on where they can serve? What their promotion track is? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. What, what's the? Yeah, I mean, like without getting too much into it, like essentially, like the higher you go um, in like the senior enlisted ranks, it's st- still super super important. They definitely don't pay those guys enough. 
Um, but you're, you're essentially just like an advisor and there's, they kind of delineate a lot of times certain things that like officers will deal with and, um, certain things that enlisted guys will do. Now, you should a, always be like a team, but you whenever you're an officer, you always have a counterpart that is an enlisted soldier. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, is there a way to become a commissioned officer without graduating West Point? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, ROTC, okay. you can um, just go to college and um, go to officer candidate school. Um, sometimes you can get a direct commission, which means like you are – and they don't do these so much anymore, but basically if you have a, if you have a degree, typically you have to have a degree these days, like a bachelor's degree. Um, say you're like an E seven and you know, you're super smart or whatever. And they're like, yeah, we want to make this student officer. Or you have, um, another instance of it is like, if you have a, a technical degree, so you're like a nurse or a doctor or something like that, they don't make you go to like the officer training. You're just directly commissioned, um, into that rank because, you're not like really leading soldiers. You're like, it's almost just for like your pay. You know what I mean? Now you still have a lot of the same responsibilities. You still have to take an oath of office. You're still commissioned, but it's like a little bit different when you're talking about the medical fields versus other stuff. So yeah, there's numerous routes, but um, I just was lucky enough to get into West Point. I actually got, <laughs> I got a ROTC scholarship to go to the University of Miami in Florida. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend um, that was going there at the time um, but I didn't get in. I got waitlisted. <laughs> so I think that would have been a tough choice. Like if I had, uh, if I had actually gotten into Miami and gotten an ROTC scholarship so I could go there for free, I'd be like, man, that's like a tough one. I think I still probably would have picked West Point, but it's, uh, it's definitely like, that was one of the tough things is like coming home, like during college and like seeing all my friends, just like they've been partying and all this kind of stuff. And like, you just, you can do a little bit of that there, but not a lot. Not You're a definitely lot. not underage drinking. You know what I mean? You get in so much trouble if you do that. <laughs> okay, so we we went on our little jaunt here on the commission versus not commission. What does that mean? So you take your oath, your yeah. commissioned officer. Yeah. Where do they send you at this point? Yeah, so there's like two big decisions that have to – it's all like rank ordered. And so, you know, whatever your class rank is, they, they judge you like based on your grades, based on your um, – physical fitness and then also based on what they call like military fitness and so like it's almost it's a bit like a popularity contest but you get a grade for like your military bearing and other stuff and so then that's your class rank and basically those um things determine like what order you essentially get to pick what you get to do in the army and so um i i was like kind of i think it was like in the middle of our class maybe like upper third, something like that. I had decent grade. I had like over a 3.0. Um, I had like a 3.1 or 3.2, something like that. But, um, and then I was always pretty good physically too, but essentially what they do is they put everybody in line and then you go on this computer system. You like put every single possible like branch, they call it. So every like job in order and then the computer just like runs an algorithm. And then there's other things where you can say like, oh, like if you give me my top one, I'll do three extra years in the army. So they call that ad sewing. Oh, so you can like, man. you can say like, yeah, like, so there were some guys, I knew guys like, for some reason, infantry is like a really hard one to get. Like being like a f leading foot soldiers, like one of the, sh the crappiest jobs is like very highly sought after. 
because like those dudes become generals a lot of you know what i mean like more infantry officers are generals than anything else and then infantry often leads to like special forces and other stuff like that so infantry is like you end up with like a lot of nerds that go infantry because <laughs> they're high in the class and they want to do infantry so they get it but then like the more like maybe the hard-nosed guys who weren't as good academically they're like I'll do it. I'll do three extra years in the army. Wow. So think about that. You're 20 years old, 21 years old. By the time you graduate, you're 22. You're like, I'll do eight years in the army. You're 30 years old by the time you get out and people do it like, Oh my God, I don't know how, but a lot of people do it. And then, so that's one thing. Then you can pick your, they call it your post. So like that's your duty station. That's like where you would be. So that one happens after that. Then it's everybody within your job. Now they're ranked. And this one, they do it live. It's kind of cool. So you, depending on the size of your group of people, they'll put you in like an auditorium or if it's a small branch in a classroom or whatever. And they've got all these like, um, not post-its, but like uh, postcards on the wall. And they've got like a, a unit insignia patch and then like the name of like the base. And so they just call you up in order. They'll be like, you know, the, the top person goes and they just, you know, I'm going to Italy, you know, because that's like everyone wants to go to Vincenza. Mm -hmm. So Italy comes off the board. Germany comes off the board. So each of those places has a certain number of spots. Yeah, exactly. There's like the number of cards and the number so of like people. The so the draft. last guy's it's just like. like the draft, except you're putting, you're, you're choosing yeah, the hat. Yeah, you're choosing on. the hat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the last guy is just like, well, I guess I'm going to Fort Polk, Louisiana. Like, this is like, there's one card left, bro. Like, that's where you go. Um, so I, I think I was. The my branch was not one that like a lot of people picked. Like some people just like got stuck with it. But I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to do bomb disposal, so I picked that branch in order. I wanted to do bomb disposal. Oh, bomb disposal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to do that. And so I was actually pretty high up in the rankings of my branch of ordnance. So I think there was like, I don't know, thirty people and I was like number five or six or something like that. So by the time I picked I I picked Colorado. Okay. Fort Carson. Yeah. Um, I ended up not even going to that exact unit and I, it was lucky that I got back there. Um, because like you, when you go to, it's supposed to be like you go to your school and then you go straight to that unit and like fill a slot. But EOD school takes like that. The spot that I picked was not an EOD spot. So I like took me another year of school before I was like a first Lieutenant before I ever got to a unit. So I'd spent like two years in training almost before I got to my unit. So it was, it was kind of, um, kind of interesting. And I, again, I just got lucky to end up back in Colorado. That was just where they needed somebody that one that I picked didn't really matter, but that's kind of how it works. So you, you know, try and get the best grades you can, you know, ir irrespective of like, you know, what your major is. So like, it's kind of easier to get good grades in like a French than say like mechanical engineering or whatever. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's funny. You, you got me thinking about when I was in college and, um, Every semester, was it every semester or every, uh, no, every year when it comes to like room, room and board, it's by, by year and then by grade. Oh, really? So at least when, where I went to school. So it's like, if you wanted to choose what it was is they, you know, all the seniors would go first, all yeah. the juniors also, and then if you had a, the higher your GPA, the higher you are. So whatever group of people, like let's say you had three guys, you're like, we want to get a, a three person place. Yeah. 
they'd have the layout. So you'd go up to the table. They'd have all. They'd have the floor plans, and they'd and be crossing like things off. Like that. And you'd pick. Okay, I want that one. Yeah. And uh, you know, then you get in there, and whoever like has the highest. So then, of course, they're they're like two dumbasses. They'll try and get the smart guy into their group because oh the yeah, one yeah, with yeah, the yeah. highest GPA gets. That's funny. Gets the pick. <laughs> By the time they would have like had like nothing, they'd be living yeah. in a broom closet or whatever. Yeah, I know. God, there's so much pee on the floor. So, so where where is that base? Or in um, in Colorado? Uh, it's Colorado Springs. Okay, Colorado. Yeah. So you went to grad school in Colorado. I was right? in four. I was in four Colorado. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But where I, did you go to undergrad? Rollins uh, in here in Orlando. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, the, yeah. the thing was is. I kept running into people that were coming from a base in Wyoming. Yeah. I think it was Bragg. No, nah, Guernsey. Guernsey. Okay. It's like a small, small base. We did some There's training, a missile man. thing up there, though. Oh, there might have been some Air Force stuff. I don't know about yeah, that. So the, yeah, so these guys, Air Force stuff is like, dude, scattered all around like no man's land in our country. Like, yeah, so there was, like a, there was like a missile base that these guys would protect. And, mm -hmm. and Fort Collins was more interesting, so they would cross the border from sure. Wyoming and come party with college students you yeah know what i mean yeah. and so i remember running into those guys uh, i mean a lot of like young enlisted people are they're like similar ages yeah. of like college students yeah you know, so they, a lot just, of people they join right out of high school or a year or two after they've been doing some stupid job that they don't really want to do that like, i just joined the military right? <laughs> so okay so um so you did mention earlier that you do get deployed at some point so, yeah 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 so what were you doing in the springs and what got you ultimately deployed and what were you doing over there? Yeah. Besides so like, like, like I was saying a stuff. second ago, so I, I did, uh, I did ordinance and then I, underneath that, there's a couple of different things. Um, there's like maintenance, there's ammunition and then there's explosive ordinance disposal. So I, um, got explosive ordinance disposal, which is like the guys in the bomb suits and stuff. Um, so I did some training in Fort Lee, Virginia, and then I went down to Eglin Air Force Base in Florida where there's a joint school, um, joint meaning like all the services. So you have Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines. Uh, they all go there for their training. So everyone learns the exact same thing when it comes to bombs disposal. How, like, there's how, no like different schools. Like everyone is in class together and everything. Okay, so just a dumb question. How, and I forget the name of the movie, but I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. The Hurt about. Locker. Yeah, with, with, yeah, with yeah, Jeremy yeah. Renner. No, nah, how accurate is that? It's not super accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay. I, it's been so long since I've seen it, but that came out actually. So the, the I wanted to do it because there's like there was like a career fair essentially, mm -hmm. and then like it just kind of in the back of one of these tables, like or on like a small little thing of you know those like trifolds or whatever when you have like a science yeah, yeah. fair. I saw like a dude in a bomb cell. I was like, how do I do that? They're like, oh, you um, you have to branch ordinance. So I was already like only one year into the academy. And I already, because at the time I thought I wanted to do infantry too. And then I found out about this and I was like, yo, this is like way cooler. And it's like a secret. Like nobody knows about it. Nobody knows it's a job. Like a hundred dudes will go infantry. There were, there were, I think less than 10 of us that became EOD officers in my class from West Point. So like nobody knows about it. And so ordinance is super easy to get. So I didn't have to, I knew from only like a year in that I didn't have to have like the best grades in order to do what I wanted to do in the army. I just knew I was like, all right, like I'm going to get ordinance. And like I said, I was like number five of that group of people. <laughs> yeah. And whereas if I would have like done infantry, I would have been like near the, the back of it. Right. Because it's just so front loaded um into the class which is like i said it's just weird so um i did 
I did EOD, so I spent a few months in Fort Lee, Virginia, went to Eglin Air Force Base, and I spent like basically all of 2012 there, just like in school. It's super long. Um, I think I went straight through, but it was like, I think it took like nine months or something like that. So I did like a small preschool um, the beginning at Fort Lee. It was like a couple of weeks or something, like that, six weeks or something to make sure you don't just go down to Florida and fail. Like they, it costs a lot of money to like send people on a permanent move like that. So they want to know like, okay, is this person not just your test scores, but like, is this person able to follow? Cause it's really big on following instructions, like to the, like to the nth degree, man. And so pass the preschool, like no problem. And then go down to Florida, took maybe a month, got into class, took all of 2012. Then I did a small officer course before. Now, they sent you to Florida. You didn't choose to go to Florida. No, that's the only place where the school is. Wow. Where in Florida? Eglin Air Force Base. It's like on the Panhandle. It's kind of okay. in between um, Panama City and Pensacola. Okay. Yeah. Destin, Florida. It's yep. like right there. Yeah. Um, there's like, the there's like a bay. The really oh, it's amazing. Good. There's like a bay. Like the almost the entire like north of the bay, almost to like the border with Alabama is the base. It's huge. It's It's like the size of Connecticut, dude. It's wild. Um, now there's some other stuff there. There's some like ranger stuff and uh, like some special forces where, stuff. Is that too. where they had that? Was it Godzilla versus Kong? Godzilla <laughs> was going to attack that. I think they I had him. Going, I haven't seen. He's, God- he's going into the panhandle. I was like, "There's a base there." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> you should see that. Just if is, it, is that the new one? The new Godzilla versus Kong? Yeah, that's the Godzilla. <laughs> I think I fell asleep during that. I just woke up during the action sequences. Um, yeah, so I I did like a year there, and then well, I that's because they're manufacturing um, whatever the name, like Mecha Godzilla in there somewhere. Oh, at the base. So because oh, okay, of the size okay, of Connecticut okay. makes sense. They could. Yeah, that's a big base. Building it's a big base. There. It's a big base. <laughs> um, you definitely could. So yeah, so I uh, after that, then um, they I you know I got orders and was going to Colorado. Okay. And then got there and they kind of like, they kept switching like what unit I was, cause there was a few there at the time there was like, it was pretty like a lot of stuff was going on. Um, and so there were like of the five companies in the battalion, like the time I was there, like every single one of them deployed within like two years. So when I got there, there was like my company and another company that was like, they're about to go right away. And then one more company like left after we left. And then our battalion to put it was like crazy. So anyways, I ended up in um, the company that I ended up in. And like we deployed just before 4th of July of 2013. So like what, what's, about, the, what's the what's the feeling among everybody? Is everyone like gung ho? Are they kind of like we knew this was happening as part of the job? Like what's, what's what are kind of the emotions going through people's heads? You know, well, they get the news about deployment. It kind of it kind of depends, right? So, like at this point, right? It's twenty thirteen. The war's been going on for forever. So, a lot of like the more senior guys had already done deployments, whether as like team leaders or like team members. So, EOD is um, like organized. You have um, the the company that has about forty four people in it, which is pretty small for a unit. And then that's split four ways. You have like the headquarters people. So like the guy that fixes uh, your trucks, um, you know, the supply person, all, all that kind of stuff. That's about 11 people. And then you have 11 people in each platoon. So I was a platoon leader. I had 10 soldiers. 
one, like I said, um, partner. So I had a, a staff sergeant uh, at the time starting out who was my platoon sergeant. And then I had three teams of three. Mm-hmm. And so on each team, there's a team leader and there's two team members. And so all these guys and gals, so there's females in EOD as well. They're all tough as crap. They all, um, or a large majority of them had deployed. All the platoon sergeants had deployed multiple times. Um, the company commander and first sergeant, like the leadership, they had all deployed. Um, and then even some of like the team members had deployed before. So a lot of, I would say like, like 50% of my unit had already done the tour. And so, I mean, it was just more of like, Hey, we're like going there to do our job. The one, the reason that what turned me really on to EOD is like the mission of it. And it's to, to, to protect personnel and property. So like your mission is not to go out there and like kill people, which is like kind of something that like I was talking earlier about, okay, how do I end up in like the military as somebody that doesn't really like believe in the war? Mm -hmm. (laughs) How can I do something, um, that I think would have a positive effect? You know, like and just trying, with, just trying uh, to keep people alive and, you know and aligned I mean? trying with to, your personal ethics and ethos. Yeah. Yeah. So EOD kind of like fit into that. Um, and so that's, that's the mission is just going there and, um, trying to prevent, um, mayhem, you know what I mean? So the, the typical mission is, you know, we'd get a call and they'd say, Hey, we have something suspicious here. We, they would describe it as best they could. And then we send a team out and then they go run the incident and um, hurt locker style. Not you got, you, you, not, you, not hurt locker style. That's how, that's how you get killed. <laughs> yeah, so that's like um, that's like one of the big tenets of EOD is like you want to stay as remote as possible. Like you want to stay as far away from something. So you're sending you a lot of like little like drone dude like little uh for sure like you're gonna send the robot first little robot little yeah 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 like, <laughs> they're like okay like say you know like somebody finds it a lot of times if they see it they might have gotten like relatively close to it or if they didn't they'll just like you know like put something where they were and then they can describe like where it is relative to that and so then yeah like you you send the robot now because like if the robot sets it off and it blows up like yeah sure it's like an expensive piece of equipment, but it's not a human life. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? So, like, the stuff that's in that movie is, like... <laughs> dude, like... And, and here's the thing. Like, there was a guy who was in my unit, but then, like, um, then he was, like, a contractor because he had gotten out. And, like, he was missing legit, like, his... Two digits? On one, yeah, one of his hands, two digits. Because, like, he was he was doing it. You know, he, he moved it around with a robot... He had tied, and then he went and tied a rope to it. It was like a jug or something. Dude, he tossed this IED, like, every which way. And then, like, he was like, okay, so it's it's safe to, like, go pick it up and move it and blow it up somewhere else. Which is, like, kind of a reasonable assumption, but, like, maybe he should just, like, kept it on the rope and pulled it. I mean, I'm not going to second-guess the guy, but whatever. Um, Well, like, as soon as he picked it up, it, like, had, a, had an anti-tilt switch in it, and it just hit just right and blew his fingers off. And I mean, he blew up too, but he lost his fingers because of that. Uh, so it's like, that's the thing. You always, you have to stay as remote and remote as possible. Obviously there's situations where that's different. Like if somebody has a suicide vest to them and they're like an unwilling participant, you know what I mean? It's like a more of a murder vest than a suicide vest. Um, a homicide vest, you'd call it, I guess. Um, you can't, you can't send a robot up to that person. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can't, you can't be like, Hey, look, I know you're in danger here, but I'm going to like, no, like you got to go 
um, you pretty much have to like go up and get it off them. You yeah. know what I mean? So there's, um, yeah, like, there's like general principles but the general principle is stay as remote as possible sure. so so let's um let's let's push the timeline forward so you served your time yeah what how did you wrap up your time in the army yeah so when i got back from deployment i was like dude i'm not doing that again ever that sucked and then it was what 18 months no god no that would <laughs> bro that'd be terrible no, uh, nine months. Nine I was months there for nine months. months. Yeah, from, and where where exactly were you? I was in Kunar Province, which is like Kunar, um, okay. it's like right next to Pakistan, basically. It's uh, north, not like super northeast, but it's like eastern okay. Afghanistan, a little on the cool. north side. Um, Asadabad is the the main city there, and so yeah, I got back from deployment. I was like, all right, I'm not doing this anymore and i don't want to do this as a civilian because a lot of guys will go join the atf or i have some friends in the fbi and stuff like that um but for me i was like okay like what am i going to do other than this and so i started doing like logistics stuff like on staff so i did that for like two years until i got out i really had like no clue what i want to do i thought about going to medical school um so i was like taking my prerequisites for that and that's kind of actually how i met a guy that I went to high school with who was coaching and that's how I ended up coaching wrestling when I was in Colorado Springs. Um, but yeah, man, I got out and I was like, I don't really know like what I'm going to do. And what year was this again? When I got out, it was 2016. Okay. So for the sake of the story, cause I know Bradenton comes into it soon. Yeah, 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 yeah. When and where did you meet your wife? Because at this point, you wanted to go around the world. You had some money saved up, and you're like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, when I... when I, uh, I know it's called BJJ and Brews, but I'm just drinking a jug of water here. Yeah. Um, like, when I got back, dude, I had, like, a heavy drinking problem. <laughs> like, really? bad. Yeah. Like, I wasn't... I wouldn't say I was, like, an alcoholic, but I was, like, definitely an alcohol abuser. So, like, it was... It was... And that's a bad thing to have when you live like catty corner from a bar. So we had this like crappy, uh, like not crappy, but like just a dive bar. You know what I mean? Redneck in Colorado, redneck dive bar. I still go there and, and say hey to the owners when I'm in town, but um, I live like right catty corner to it. So you could just walk there, get wrecked. Me and my Me and my best friend from West Point would just go there and get wrecked because he had like gone through like a huge breakup and like he was still like messed up from that and while i was deployed the girl that i was dating she cheated on me so it was just like not a good deployment <laughs> yeah it sucked and so it was drinking like like a lot like to the point where i was like like showing up to like work the next day like i don't even know how i showed up like i just wearing sunglasses <laughs> yeah, yeah it was like ridiculous and so, um, yeah, that went on for, let's see, from 2014 to probably, yeah, I don't know, like two years, man. And then even after I got out, I was still drinking a lot. Not as much, but still a lot. Um, but I met her at a, just at that bar, just one night. At the dive yeah, bar? Yeah, at the dive bar, randomly, yeah. Wow. So she came in with uh, were you still some in, dudes. Were you still in... I was in still the, in the army at this point. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and like, I texted my my best friend, 
and she was she's super tall my wife's taller than me she's like six feet tall i'm like five ten you know and uh i like took like a creeper picture of her and i sent it to my best friend i was like dude i'm gonna marry this chick now i was a little wasted at the time but yeah we ended up uh dating she was like moving right after that what did she do my wife was in the army too my wife was enlisted and i was an officer and i had like six months left in so i didn't really care you're not supposed to date enlisted when you're an officer it's called fraternization it's like not part of the rules but i knew i was getting out i didn't really care and um so yeah so and she was like moving so we weren't like in the same unit or anything like that there was nothing like that but yeah met her at a bar and then when i got out um she wanted me to move in with her so i moved to savannah that's where i did all the traveling that's where she was deployed that's where she was stationed. Yeah, she stationed just got moved from Colorado to, to Savannah. See, I don't know the term of deploys when yeah. you actually go to mm-hmm. a foreign country and then station. Okay. Yeah, she was supposed to go on a deployment, and I was like, nope. I was like, if you go, because it was like, at, by that time, only a few years later, they were only taking like smaller people. So you'd have like a big unit stateside, and they would like kind of pare it down and like send only part of the unit. I was like, you're not going. I was like, if you are, we're going to break up, and then like we can get back together when you get back if you want to do that. I was like, but but I'm not gonna be the the dude at home while you're deployed. Like I've gone through a deployment with a relationship, and it's just super hard. You know, it's super super hard. Um, so yeah, so she didn't go. Um, and then like after being in Savannah for like a year, roughly, and doing all that travel, then I got a job, and it was like West Point and the EOD stuff that got me the job because. I did not fit the mold of like, if you read the job description, you'd be like, Adam's not the guy. <laughs> Cause the job description was like, it was a medical device. And it was just like, you got, uh, you know, a good candidate will have a master's degree in uh, biological sciences and 10 years experience and like all this stuff. Wow. Now the job like honestly doesn't require that, but that was, you like would have, you would have met the qualifying criteria. Yeah, exactly. Like um, the algorithm would have sorted out my resume and put it in the trash. So, so real quick, uh, what was your wife's specialty? I did, I didn't catch it in the, Oh, so she did like, um, geospatial Intel. And okay. that's actually a funny story. Like that's what she wanted to do when she got out. I was like, no, you just want to do that. Cause that's what you did in the army. Um, so she wanted to go back to school and get a degree and I convinced her not to. And then, this is 2018 after she got out. Then 2019 comes around and she's like, hey, you know, I really want to go back to school to get my degree in GIS. And I'm like, no, I mean, are you sure? Like, that's what you did in the Army. And so she didn't go again. Then 2020 comes around. She's like, hey, I want to get my degree in GIS. I was like, all right, fine. So she goes back to school, got her degree, and now she's working at a company doing GIS. That's awesome. And she's super bored. <laughs> I'm like, well, you asked for it multiple times. And so here you are. Okay. So now we're basically present. So you guys went to Savannah and then you somehow ended up in Bradenton, Florida. Yeah. That's where the job was. Cause like your job, my job. Yeah. Okay. So and the you're job right was in like Tampa. IMG Academies. Yeah. So we, I mean, we didn't start there. So what happened was, is <laughs> I asked, I asked my boss, I asked him and I was like, Hey, like, where should I live in the area? He's like, well, you can live wherever you want, but I would, you know, we were like looking all over for like rentals or whatever. He's like, but if I were you, I would live in St. Pete. You know, that's like a good, cause I was like, what about Riverview? He's like, don't live in Riverview. And I was like, okay. He's like, live in St. Pete or like downtown Sarasota. And I was like, okay. So we, we went to St. Pete in a tiny little house. As soon as my wife and I was there for months, 
um, doing my training and stuff while she was still in. And then once she got out and she moved in with me, like with our two big dogs and it was just way too, I mean, this house was like, like less than a thousand square feet, like size of this room. <laughs> almost man, super small. Like the, the bedroom it had like a queen bed where like you could barely like slip by the bed to get to the other side of the bed. It was tiny. Um, and so we moved out of that place. The owner, the the landlord just lived right across the street. So we moved out of that place into a bigger place in the same neighborhood. Um, and then we discovered that that place, like someone had smoked in it before. And they had painted all the walls, but the closets were like, uh, it was an old house. The closets were like cedar. They were like wood. So you put your clothes in there and it just like baked smoke into all your clothes. Uh, so I told the dude, I was like, hey, bro, I was like, we're leaving. He's like, but you have a lease. I was like, uh, yeah, but like you don't even have a property manager. So the chances that you sue me are like super low. Plus, also, I'm just going to like tell, yeah, I'll live here. But like my wife's getting headaches, like all our stuff smells like smoke. So if you want to remediate and like do, you know, $8,000 worth of drywall work, that's fine. We'll stay. But. I knew he was like, just, you know, okay, you can go. So he kept the security deposit and bought the house in Bradenton. So at the time, um, you know, we were like, it was only me working and I was, I was doing okay. Um, but it was only me working and we like bought this house and like prices weren't art like they are now, but we bought this house and it was like $380,000. We you got like, a lot of house for that. Yeah. In Bradenton, bro. Yeah. You it, got like, because that's what we were looking at St. Pete and we're like, dude like these houses are terrible and they're super expensive or like a nice house was like really expensive you know what i mean like $500,000 i'm like i can't get approved for that mortgage you know what i mean um we had put an offer in like super lowball offer on this really cool historical house that was in our neighborhood in st pete and we didn't get it um it, it was like on the market for like five something we put like a 450 offer in i could barely get approved for that mortgage <laughs> and uh didn't get it house ends up selling for like I don't know, 550 and now that house is like a $900,000 house. I'm like, bro, the bathrooms, are, like, because it's, the house was built before there was indoor plumbing. Mm -hmm. So that it was like the shape of a cross, super cool house. And they ended up just like putting the bathrooms like in the corners of the cross and whatever. But, um, but yeah, so $380,000, we're like, oh my God, like, all right. Like, but yeah, you know, when you look at it, okay, sure. It makes sense. And interest rates were pretty low. And, um, and now our like our house is like worth like so much more. And I'm like, dude, it like we wouldn't be able to buy that house today. Like, because it's just like it's too much money, man. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. That's something that's um troubling. So we, we had kept the house in Savannah when we moved down. We rented it out for a little while because we couldn't make money on it. When we sold it, we would lose money. Um and then we ended up selling it in last year. And we made some good money, but we actually um took a slightly less offer on the house to sell it to an actual like human being versus like some investor who's like, I'm coming in all cash. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not selling you my house. Cause you're just going to like flip it or turn it into a rental or something like mm -hmm. that. Like, you know, if people like me don't sell their houses to humans and they just sell it to, you know, Chinese investors or people who are looking to just rent it out, then where are people going to live? Um, so yeah, so we sold that house and then we, we had moved by that time we had moved to Orlando. So we bought a house over here about 15 minutes away. And at that point, COVID had kind of, you know, died down. And I knew that this was something that I want to start. Um, 
Okay, so the jujitsu part. We yeah, yeah. Now we're so. at, now we're at jujitsu. Now we're up to the current day. Yeah. So, when in, when did you first find out about jujitsu, and what were the conditions that got you to like? I'm in Orlando now. I can like let me do it. Yeah. So my brother's married to a Brazilian woman. Okay. Um, well, he's not. He's he's like he not the same brother. So like with this whole craziness of people dying and being adopted or whatever, he's actually the cousin that took me in. It's her son. So he's a little bit older than me, but he's, he's like my brother. Um, he lives here in town now. And so we actually moved back to Orlando at about the same time. He had lived here previously. That's where he met his wife. They lived actually in Colorado about the same time I lived there. And then they moved to Orlando around the same time uh, as my wife and I. And so, He's like a, he's a blue belt, but he like stopped training. Where did um, he train? I want to get him back. He trained in Colorado. Okay. He was in, yeah, a school out there. And so he had told me, he like knows a guy that owns like ATT in St. Cloud or something like that. And so he was like, you should, um, he was a Gracie Baja guy, I think at first. And then he went to another school. And so I'd asked him like, you know, where should I go or whatever? And actually, when I lived in Champions Gate, I like went on the website of a couple of Gracie Baja schools and was like, did like the ask for information thing. And it's like funny, like, you know, people will complain about their schools not having um, enough members or whatever. But it's like you literally have a a hot lead development thing on your website and nobody responds to it. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. So nobody ever called me or anything. Cause I was just asking like, okay, like when, what's the class schedule wasn't posted. Like, what does it cost? Oh, the old classic, I had all these questions, the classic right? call for schedule. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing that. So nobody ever answered those, uh, things. And so I, uh, I didn't ever train when I was over in that side of town. And then when I moved over here, he's like, you should go to an American top team school. I was like, okay. So I just like, looked up um the gyms and there was this one and the other one mm-hmm. um and this one i was like oh this is like it's right off 417 it's gonna be super quick um so i just came and checked it out and everyone was nice and had fun nearly like hurt someone my first day and then i was like all right i need to like slow the fuck down mm-hmm. and then um yeah i've been here ever since it's been like close to a year now something like that yeah okay so yeah I don't I'm I'm sure I was around but I guess what did you do a trial class? Nah, I already knew. Like so I already knew I was going to do it. I think I just signed up the first just gave him my credit card like I didn't have to I already knew what it was about, you know what I mean? Cuz I had wrestled yeah, and but I you, had done you still had and, to you still had to get a vibe of the place, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess technically I did. I like did one class, but you didn't do a trial it. class. Like you didn't do a one on one because a lot. No, 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 no. I didn't. So you just jumped into a group class. Yeah, yeah. So who taught that class? I think it was Mark. Okay. Yeah, Mark Peace. Okay. Yeah. Um, Paul was like out of town. I think he was like climbing a mountain or something at the time. Okay. I would discover later. And we were, and we were. <laughs> I think you were with him. You and him and Victor, I think, were like climbing a mountain. This was like. That was probably around this time. May of May of last yeah, year. Yeah, that was we were going up Rainier. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. So you guys were out of town. Mark taught the class. It was cool. Mm-hmm. Um I was like, Yeah, yeah, I can get down. It's like, you know, fifteen minutes from my house. Um, everybody seems cool and yeah, so I'll just do it. And then I started, you know, training a lot. Um, probably like 
I think I come four to five times a week usually if I can. And then, um, then I hurt my knee. All right. So then I hurt my knee in August doing some stupid stuff and like literally did it to myself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's funny. Like Chris has this big voice. So Chris was teaching the class. This was a Sunday class. He has this like big philosophy and he talks about all the time about how like if somebody gets hurt when he's teaching, it's like his fault. It's like, no, like that, that's, that doesn't even make sense to me. Right. Because you can't control other people. Like you can't make anyone do anything. Uh, you know, there's always a choice when people say like, Oh, I can't do that. Like what they mean is like, they don't want to do that because the consequences of doing that are, you know, unacceptable to them. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know, like people, oh, I can't get a divorce cause I, I got my kids. It's like, no, you, you can, you can get a divorce. You just don't want to enough to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the, that's what people, or I can't do that. Or like, like literally you can do anything. You can murder people. You're just going to have to face the consequences. <laughs> you can do a lot of stuff. You're able to do a lot of things, but you just don't, you choose not to. And so like Chris's philosophy of, Oh, you know, if somebody gets hurt, then it's my fault. It's mm-hmm. like, dude, I like body triangled Bruno and was like putting so much pressure on my own. I had no idea what I was doing. I saw it like in the Figueredo Moreno fight and I was like, Oh, Moreno choked him out with a body triangle. Let me do that. I didn't know what I was doing. And I just like put my knee in a weird spot and then I was hobbling around. Um, and it's, it's good now. I mean, it's doing a lot of stuff to work on it now. Yeah. We've had a lot of conversation about it. Yeah. Yeah. We have. Yeah. We have. And like what, what, what sutures. Yeah. Well, you gotta, you gotta go to the, you gotta go get the Nova stitch pro and you gotta go to this guy. And, but no, you ended up. So it's funny because my earliest memory of you. Yeah. Is coming up to me in class and very politely, but confidently explaining to me, not explaining, but telling me, it would be a good idea to give demonstrations at different angles because yeah, people yeah, yeah. in a circle gives people a different angle. And nine times out of ten, if anyone's approached me and said something like that, the reaction is, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even Victor was there. We were both like, he said it in, in such a way that you could tell that there was no air of superiority coming from what no, he was no, saying. No, no. He was literally giving constructive feedback with the hopes of improving just improving things. And yeah, it was yeah, just, yeah. it was weird. And usually <laughs> it's the smartest. Like, Hey man, I know, I know how to no, do this No, no, better. no, no. It's not that I, and I it was even, so funny. Cause I, was I like, don't even know like what the move was, but <laughs> it's not like I knew the move. I just, I just knew like as a coach, um, you have to, you, people will miss stuff. And a lot of times it's, it's so now when somebody's getting, uh, giving con, uh, instruction, I'll get up on my feet sure. and I'll, I'll move around. I'll move around, yeah. I'll move around. That's what I would A lot do. of people don't do that. And so unless the, you know, you're kind of like, do that. Like today, um, like Jamie was doing something and I would say half the people were not on the right side to be able to see sure. what he was doing um, with his hands on the other side. And, and as a result, he was also projecting his voice in the opposite direction of where most people were, right? And so there's like small things like that that, that can just make the class better. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so I could tell that you weren't like new at instructing, but like I know the ranks. I know you're a purple belt. I know you haven't been teaching for forever. You've probably been teaching like a couple of years or something. But if no one's ever said that to you, like, you know, Paul, Paul's the Paul's the head coach here, right? Mm-hmm. And he's taught you jujitsu, but like 
Like how much does he teach you to coach? You know, Mm -hmm. like how much does he watch you coach and say like, Hey, here's where you could get better. And so it was just one little thing where I was like, um, you know, I couldn't see what the hell was going on. And most people, they're like dumb white belts. They're just like sitting there like, Oh, okay. That's how I do it. And even, even now, even when I get up and walk around, there's still stuff that I miss. Like we just did this like straight arm bar thing, um, from side control with Paul and like for the longest time I was trying to do it with like my like hands to my elbows. I was like, why does this not work? And then finally after I saw it for like the tenth time, so we did it like three days in a row, and I came to all those classes, I realized that Paul was like, you know, gable gripping and on, on the elbow. And I was like, Oh, that's why it wasn't working, because I was like missing a key mm-hmm. element. Not that it was it's not Paul's fault or anything. It was just like I just was somehow like missing sure. that thing. And sometimes with techniques, dude, if you like miss the one, one thing is just, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. It's the, you missed the key thing or whatever. Um, so yeah, I just like, I didn't, I just said it to kind of give you some. No, I, I get you know, it. It's just, like I whatever. said, like nine times out of 10, if someone says something, it's from a, it's from a, pl- they say it in a way of like, I know better. Oh yeah. And, and there was, and, and <laughs> as much as, as much as the ego side of me wanted to say that, like, who the fuck is this motherfucker? There was nothing in the way you said it. I was like, I can tell there's no, he's coming I, from a genuine but, good place. And he's just like, Hey, I just want to point. And I was like, this is so I think, weird. I think it says a lot about you though, because it's like, also like, okay, I think if I say this in the right way, this guy won't get offended. Yeah. Versus like, I've even, uh, I've even said stuff like that to Paul as well. I can't remember what it was, but it was, um, all the time. I'll always ask him questions. Cause I think that, you know, when we're, when we're drilling my thought, it's like chess. I'm always thinking, okay, like, yeah, we're drilling this offensive move, but like, what is the dude really going to do? Like, he's not just going to like, what's my opponent going to do? They're not just going to like lay there. Um, so like I'll ask Paul questions all the time. And then sometimes he, you know, the next break he'll be like, Hey, this is something to be aware of. This person can do this. And then they're gone. You know they're out or whatever and so for me i think you know i'm not trying i don't want to teach the class at all but it it's always like just the thoughts that run through my mm-hmm. mind to think about asking a question first because i could be way off base you know sometimes i ask him questions and i'm like hey what about this and he's like nah they can't do that because they got this grip over here mm-hmm. or whatever um but it's always more just trying to like increase my own learning and then you know if it's something that I, somebody feels like they want to share with the class and then everybody gets better. And that's oh, one yeah. thing that I really like about jujitsu too, is like, I really like to do this. Some people don't like to do this. I've discovered that. Um, but for me, like every, every role in every section of a role is like, like a learning experience. And so, um, sometimes I'll like stop mid role and Hey, like, what should I have done there? Or, you know, I'll be talking to myself and say, Hey, this is where I, I think I made a mistake and they'll say, yeah, but you know, you can do this too or whatever. And so like, I'm always trying to, to learn, um, more and more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, the one, the one thing that I've noticed is like vastly different about jujitsu than wrestling is like the coaches. And I don't, I don't know. I think it's probably because the, the nature of running a gym versus running a team, like where everyone is competing but there's there's like a lot less like active feedback 
like while you're rolling. You know what I'm saying? So like when in wrestling practice, it would always be the coach would be like yelling, yelling at you while you're doing like a roll, like while you're practicing. And that kind of does train you to like listen as well, like in competition, because your coach is going to, you might be missing something and your coach will be yelling like, you know, run, run the half, run the half or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, sh- boom. And then next thing you know, you got a pin because you were trained to like listen to your coach over there. Um, versus jujitsu, it's a, it's a little bit less of that. And it's more of like, so I remember when I went and saw you do your like grappling match at the, the nightclub. Oh, yeah. And like somebody was. Oh, yelling. yeah, you were there. Yeah. Somebody was yelling at you from the side and you were just you like look back and you're like, Shh. <laughs> you know, it's it's like um, there's multiple things to that. But it's like, I don't know if like like when you do jujitsu, you want someone doing that because you've you've never you don't train that way. We don't train that way. We don't train with people telling us what to do on the sideline. And so I think in a competitive sense, um, and I don't know how much that goes on in actual judicial tournaments. I've never been to one, but it's like, you really have to train your brain to be able to, to do that. And that's something that fighters do a lot. They're like listening well, to their corner. I mean, you know? so it's, it's very common. I think in, in a competitive jujitsu scene to have a coach doing shouting out a strike. In fact, yeah, at yeah. A, a lot of tournaments, they give you a, a corner that sits in a chair right next to the sure. mat and yeah, they're on like either side yeah. of the table. Exactly. So I, my personal opinion has, has been that I think the difference between wrestling and jujitsu is wrestling is a much more mature sport and the coaching methodologies are more fleshed out. Yeah. And in jujitsu, people are still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Um, it's, it's much, it's much newer. It's much more raw. And, you also identified the other big thing. There's a difference between having a team where people are competing to get a chance to be on the team because they're, they have to accept coaching and a certain coaching methodology. Yeah. We're talking about paying gym members yeah. that are coming here to have fun. So, and they're all here for different reasons. They're all here yeah. for different reasons. Yeah. So you, you can't run class like a wrestling practice. Cause if you did, people might leave. Yeah, or, they yeah. might leave and they can, because here you're here to serve the customer not develop well at this gym yes and that's another thing is i get that feeling that um and paul says it all the time he's just like like you're like you're a paying customer Mm -hmm. like if you don't if you don't want to roll around you can choose not to you know like you're you paid for this class you know exactly um yeah the other day we were talking about like the whole gauntlet thing right and he's Mm -hmm. like yeah i talked to a lawyer and the, the lawyer was like well it's not hazing because you already gave him the belt they don't have it's not a requirement to get the belt to do the gauntlet. He's like, honestly, I've been trying to kill it for forever. So if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. You know what I mean? It's, uh, whatever. You know, he's like, I've tried to get rid of it, but it just seems like people want to do it, you know? Um, whereas, you know, at, at, at other places, you know, the things that I've heard about, um, just a lot of the BS, like I honestly, so there's a gym that's really close to my house. I could not take a toll road. And it's like seven minutes away or something. I checked it out. I didn't really love their class schedule or whatever. And so I went over there um, at the behest of my wife. And I was just like, I could, like ATT, in my opinion, is just so much better. Like there's more people. The gym is bigger. The instruction quality. I mean, dude, like we just had a Sunday morning class and there were like five black belts here. Mm -hmm. Like... There's like one, there was like one black belt at that gym 
And then, you know, they have the whole Gee situation where you got to have, you know, some random Brazilian dude's name patch on your Mm -hmm. chest. And I remember, and I kind of knew that was a thing before I started. And it's not that I had a problem with it, but I didn't have a Gee when I first showed up. And I asked Mark about that. I was like, hey, like, how can I buy a Gee? And he was like, oh, just go on Amazon and like get the Amazon recommendation one. I'm like, you guys don't like sell geese here. He's like, nah, we don't really do that. That's like a Gracie Baja thing. Like, mm. But there's like, a, there's like an ATT, like little gee hanging out there. I'm like, I don't even know why yeah, that's we, there. We, well, it's actually like sitting there, right next there to you There may right be now. like used to be merch at some point, but there's not anymore. I mean, there's like, always, there's always, I mean, uh, that's probably something as a gym we, we've always, well, we, Paul's always, you know, probably could do more with, but he hasn't done it. That's, you know, merchandise and, yeah, a pro shop. Well, because <laughs> I know. guess there's like a fine line between like, um, like the requirement and the like some sort of de facto requirement, right? Like mm-hmm. if you show up at a gym and like everyone's wearing like, you know, Atos geese or, or rash guards or whatever, shit, you might not even know if that's a requirement or not. But like everyone else is doing that, so I'm gonna buy an Atos yeah. thing. I mean, I, I don't know if it actually is a requirement or you, not. You have to. Know. Well, I would imagine. They, I think they it actually, is. They, the last I checked is they have. You have to wear white gi, but it can be any brand. But you have to wear the rash guards. They're theirs, they're, right? they're black, which you could rent. You know, they rent them out for like five or ten, which is weird. Like, that's weird. I, I wouldn't wear another guy's. <laughs> well, that's what they think. Under like, Armour shirt. Buy it. So okay. But yeah, so, and then so so my brother's a Gracie Baja uh, blue belt, and he's like, yeah, you know, but there's like the team aspect of it. I'm like. I mean, I get it, but dude, in wrestling practice, nobody's wearing the same clothing. Like the team aspect comes out when you go to compete, not like nobody's. Yeah, you wear the uniform when you compete, not yeah, when, well, yeah, not yeah, when you yeah precisely right. So, is there any sort of? Do you think the fact that jujitsu, specifically gi jujitsu, has belts and stripes and a ranking system, is that something you identified with coming out of the army? Or do you think do you think that had any sort of influence on you? I mean, maybe maybe at first, mm-hmm. um, but you know, as I like go with people, I just dude, there's like there's blue belts who I really struggle with, and then there's like um, there's like brown belts that I like tool, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's I think everyone um, there's like different. I think it's really like individualized. It's like maybe like the instructor has an idea of like, what is this person's potential? Like, what do I think this person who just showed up as a white belt or at my school or just showed up as a blue belt at my school? And I see him for a while. Like, what do I think they're going to look like as a black belt? And then kind of like ranking that person a kind of like along their own continuum. Right. So not, not, not every blue belt is created equal and not every black belt is created equal. You know, like there's, there's, black belts that I roll with and um, can give some trouble to. Um, and then there's, there's people that just smash me. And this is like, no, I, I like, they're not letting me work because no, no, like nobody lets me work anymore. Really? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know, they, they just don't because they're just like this guy wrestled and uh he weighs 220 pounds i'm not letting this dude work you know what i mean like they just don't you know like i went with andre today and he just like just swept me mount guillotine done like he's not letting me like no no i'm not doing it paul will for sure like paul is like he he's the he has like this like 
massive dial that you can just turn it just like a like a tenth of a degree and he just like knows exactly where to be to match your um your skill level to like make you work and that's that's always something that's that's fun about paul um but yeah i mean everyone is at like um like a different level you tell you think about like these dudes that are like competing and and you see these like youtube videos you're like holy like that guy would like that dude smashes you know what i mean <laughs> like you just did an arm bar from turtle like what like what i didn't know i could do that <laughs> and so i just think it's um like when i first showed up it was like something that i thought about and then there was a guy um a guy who like hadn't been here in a while and he showed up and he was a black belt and like um i was still white belt and like i submitted him and, I, and then i was like like hey we're all just people you know what I mean? Like that doesn't doesn't mean shit. And then um I there was a point where like nobody who was like less like had less stripes than me or whatever, I had this whole thing like I didn't want to get submitted by somebody less. And then I then I like got the submission on the black belt. And I think in the same class or like the next day, like a one stripe white belt like fucking triangled me or something. And I was like it was like combination of those two things that was like, I just like any remaining semblance of like ego that I had was like gone at that point. Um, and I just, I just don't, I don't care if I like win or lose a role. I just want to be a little bit better after the role. That's like kind of the thing that's most important to me. And like now I've started going to no gi and I'm like so lost because I don't have any grips mm -hmm. and I'm getting choked out a lot. Um, but I'm still having a lot of fun and like getting a good workout. And like, ultimately that's like why I'm here is because this is the one thing that I can do. And, uh, it's really good for cardio. It's a good workout and I enjoy it. I'm not like running or something like that. I do lift weights, um, at home, but like that's the thing for me is as long as, you know, People are like amicable and, and most people are, um, but you know, people have bad days and they get fired up and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I've, I've had some like minor tips with people, but it's all on a, like water under the bridge yeah. at this point, you know, because again, like people are here for different reasons and, and humans are, it's hard to communicate. Like communication is, um, like you think you're saying one thing, but like somebody takes it somewhere, something else, or, you know, I, you make a comment and people think that you're talking about them when you're talking about yourself or something like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a complex thing, but night now here, um, I just try to get like better every time and I just try to get a good workout. There's definitely a, there's a, you know, you hope as a one would hope that at some point i think you know for any any decent grappler they have there's a realization point where it's like it's not about winning and it's not about or winning is not getting the submission it's like you said some sort of improvement so and you also start thinking about things it's like if someone taps you a lot of times people you know the reaction is well actually i was working on something that's why they tapped me because you know correct right? yeah so then but then when you tap someone else in your mind you're like well they were going 100 percent, so that was a fully yeah, legitimate yeah, yeah. tap so then yeah. you start realizing like at the end of the day uh it's skill development and if i don't 
if I don't fully embrace that, I'm not giving myself the best chance to improve. And by fully embracing that, I'm not necessarily grappling to win because yeah. I'm not doing my A game. I'm, I'm, if I'm trying something new, I should fail. Yeah, you yeah know? for sure. But... Like I did something, I, I did something today to only people that are higher rank. I'm not going to, I'm not going to yeah. be able to get enough reps in because guess what? There are fewer higher rank people than lower rank people. Cause that's just the nature yeah. of the beast. It's funny. Like today I, I did something that like I knew as a coach, but, uh, in wrestling, but like I like never did, uh, when I, when I actually wrestled like to finish a shot, I would almost invariably like punch my outside arm and, and circle step over the foot, limp arm, mm -hmm. now I'm behind the person. It doesn't seem to work as well in gi because people fiction. are gripping on you, right? Yeah. So I um, I ended up in like kind of the front headlock position on Mike, but I was kind of like deep. I was like under his hips. So I just like grabbed one leg and like elevated. You see that all the time in college wrestling and then dump, dumped him off mm -hmm. to the side. Dude, I can't tell you the last time I did that. And I certainly haven't done since I've been here. Um, but that's just one of those things where it's just like, okay, like I, I'm, I'm growing, like my mind's kind of expanding a bit, but, but to the point about, um, like the winning or losing my wife, um, does intramural sports like co-ed, you know, out in the community or whatever. And, you know, as violent a sport as jujitsu can be, you don't often see it's you know, it's always the slap bump, you know, like you mm -hmm. don't really see like, I haven't seen a fight like since I've been here. Oh no. This you know what I mean? I've, I've never seen a fight. It's the most like, bro, like people are playing soccer on a Friday night and, and like some dude who's like 250, like knocks over this hundred pound guy. And I'm like, if I was the ref red card, like you're gone, bro. Like it's community sports. We all have jobs. Yeah. You know, we're all trying to like, we have families and like you're just gonna like crush this little guy, and I was like, dude, I'm just glad it wasn't my wife, because like, I w I would have just seen red. Like I I, I don't I don't fight people like in public, but it's like if you just assaulted my wife on a soccer field, like I'm gonna kill you, dude. In I was in Tampa and I watched uh, you know a buddy of mine or I was staying with someone. He's like, yeah, I've got I've got intramural soccer, I guess. So it was like some soccer league. I saw him play. I was kind of embarrassed to be there because everyone was such poor sports, screaming at each other. Bro, it's crazy. You know, sliding into each other hard. They're all you know late 20s to mid 40s like the days the days of caring about that and then those same people are the ones that like are are those like the parents that are like you know like oh, super, the psycho parents yeah the psycho parents <laughs> at the kid's soccer game it's just like look your your kid you know he's he's eight years old and he weighs 200 pounds like he's not he might not be a i mean that's, that's a the soccer genesis, champion that's the genesis of kind of this podcast like you, you'll never find a more chill group of people than what you see after after class yeah you've yeah. rolled you're all sweaty you're just chit-chatting everyone's in a good mood any yeah. sort of stress or or tension or aggression it was all let out and you it, know. it's it's funny man because it's like when people do come in with that like they they get um they quickly people have to explain to them like hey like this is not what we're about here and then like if, even if it happens on accident like the other day somebody got slammed like the dude didn't do it on purpose, but yeah. like they kind of, they were behind him, had their arm and then picked him up and brought him down to the mat hard. Yeah. And it's like, that's something that is totally a part of the sport that can happen. But we instantly stop and we're like, bro, like you gotta, like you gotta slow it down. You're right. And then you see these like people playing soccer where like physical, uh, 
you know, like those things are like penalties or whatever, you're not part of the sport. And um, they happen repeatedly. Yeah, they happen repeatedly. And then the and then like the sissy ref like didn't do anything. Literally, I because like um, when I wasn't coaching those two sports, I was a, I was a ref. I would always be a ref like one season at West Point, and so, bro, I was like like you were in like judge Judy's court. Like nothing was like getting past me, bro. <laughs> so we played handball and like in handball, you can only dribble like a certain way. You can't like, and one mm-hmm. like mixtape it. Right. So I had this one team and they would always like, they would, they would they'd dribble wrong. And I'd be stuff. like, I'd be like, beep, and I'd like call them out. And I'd like, they'd be like, what? I'd be like, bro, this is, this is not, you're not the professor over here. Like you, you bounce the ball straight up and down. You can't cup the ball at all. Um, and so like, if I was, you know, this soccer ref, that saw that and then after he crushed a little guy the guy like pounded on his chest i'd be like okay it was a yellow card but now it's red like because you're out of here bro i can't have you like hurting people like everyone's here paying to have fun (laughs) if you want to be a world champion you should have trained when you were 11 hey man and tried to make it to the premier league your days of and it's the same thing here it's like you you know uh jim rome the radio person yeah 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 yeah. is he still around I don't know, but have you heard his, his spiel on softball guy? No, 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 okay, no, so no. You got to listen to that. Basically, okay. his whole thing is so, he goes on this whole tirade. But softball guys, one of these guys at softball that, you know, he'd be playing in game seven of the World Series if it wasn't for his high school coach. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's so what it is. Now, every play is like. He's you somehow had this amazing <laughs> talent that was missed <laughs> by the entire world. Uh, now you're playing slow pitch softball <laughs> at uh, Red Bug Lake Park, and you know, get, get out of here, man. So that's the that's the thing for me. It's just like you know, where nobody here is. Um, but again, it, it could be different in different gyms where, like, you know, there's competitive people. You got the, like Galval there, and like you know, people are training mm-hmm. or whatever. But. Um, even then, there's still people in that gym most likely that are just regular paying members, mm-hmm. and they're just trying to stay in shape and get better and learn. And what uh, what was it like getting promoted to blue belt? Um, it was cool, man. It was definitely cool because like it was definitely something that I wanted, mm-hmm. and it was something that um, it was kind of like why I continued. It was it was like if I can continue to train. Um, so like I didn't think it was gonna. If you would have gone back several months before, I didn't think it would have happened so quickly. Um, but I started coming in May, and then in the August promotion, you know, Paul uh, put me all the way to four stripes. I was like, oh shit! Like that was that was super cool because it was like he did the one, and then he was like, hold on, reach back for another, and I'm like, oh, like snap! And then he did one more. So now, I, you know, I go from you know being a one stripe white belt to four. And I'm like, okay, I. There's another promotion in December. Um, I guess that's a possibility now, right? Mm-hmm. And so I um, I think I had hurt my knee either just, I think it was like just before that August one. Um, but like the knee healed up and I continued to train and I was seeing all the other people that were like around where I was at. I didn't really know like what the criteria was really to get promoted, um, but apparently a bunch of people had talked to Paul about me um, saying like, Hey, like you got to give this guy blue belt cause he keeps choking me out and I don't want to get chucked out by a white belt anymore or whatever. Um, and he kind of made a, a quip at, uh, at the promotion. I can't remember. I can't remember the guy's name. I've only ever seen him like once or twice, but uh, he's, he's like a 
two degree black belt um who like wrestled in college or something like probably carapalucci yeah and um i him and i had rolled uh, a few days maybe a week or two prior and he was like yeah i i i put adam on carapalucci and within like 30 seconds he was like man did this guy wrestle (laughs) you know (laughs) um but no for me it was it was uh it was super cool and it was super cool to like i have a lot of like close friends um not like super close but like you know guys like brian i'm pretty close with him um our my wife his girlfriend her friends um and i always have a lot of those guys over at my house for like the UFC oh, like brian and, and john and those yeah guys. brian john roman um big john mm-hmm. so all those guys that got promoted at, around the same time as me the interesting thing though is like some of the guys that were not that got promoted that were like three stripe white belts. Uh, so it was like uh, Bryant and like a few other guys. Man, I like haven't seen them in like, it's like since we got promoted and I used to see them at like our classes and I'm like, Oh man, I like, I hope those aren't, you know, get a blue belt and quit guys. Um, the blue belt blues, the blue belt, the blue belt yeah. blue or whatever they call it. Yeah, yeah. So I haven't, I haven't seen any, um, any of those guys, but a lot of the guys that, I was kind of like close with before are still training, mm-hmm. you know, Roman, John, um, Brian, big John, they're kind of all still here. Jay, um, as well. So, you know, it's, it's fun and it, it's going to be interesting to see. Like I, w- I was watching like, uh, I watched some of Paul's videos on ATT, like the, mm-hmm. uh, YouTube, the instructionals. Cause it's like kind of, for me, I like learning from the guy that I learned from in class because I know like his style or whatever. Um, but there was like some other videos on there. It was interesting to see like some of the people that are still here and some of the people that aren't. Um, and like everyone starts for their own reasons and I'm sure everybody like stops for their own reasons, you know. So I, I need to, um, I got to take a leak, bro. No, we're good. I mean, (laughs) you've been sipping on that water. I think we covered everything, man. Just as as a closing, um, what, uh, what are your goals for the rest of the year? Chris always asks that question. So I got to ask it for him. Rest of the year. Oh man. Jujitsu wise. Oh, jujitsu wise. I was like, Oh, um, hit my quota. (laughs) No, um, no, really just to get better. Like at this point, like I don't, I'm like in it for the long haul, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, you know, I, I want to stay, um, I want to get my black belt at some point. You know, I, I knew that, um, the day I showed up. Wow. Yeah. The day I showed up, I was like, this is, it was something cause it wasn't just like some spur of the moment shit. Like I had thought about doing it for a couple of years, but I wasn't, I knew that you got to kind of be somewhere and stay there for a while. You know what I mean? And I was in the previous 10 years of my life, I had moved like 10 times. I'd moved a lot. And so now we're in Orlando we're not going to move. And so, and now we, you know, over there we were renting and I was like, I think I'm going to wait to start until we buy a house here. So I bought a house here, um, came to this gym and like, I'm, I'm pretty much here for as long as it takes. And, and then I read this funny thing online the other day. I was talking about like how people get to where they are in jujitsu. And it was like, um, you know, you, you show up at white belt, um, you suck and then you get promoted to blue belt and you feel kind of confident, but you don't want to be that guy who quits at blue belt. So you stick around 
And then it just goes on through like every rank and it talks about like, you know, you get your black belt, but then you don't want to be that guy who only comes every once in a while and like then gets sucked and, and who sucks, mm-hmm. right? And gets beat by, you know, like lower ranking people. So you keep training mm-hmm. and then before you know it, you're a coral belt. <laughs> it just like goes on and on and on and on and on. And now you're 87 years old and you're a red belt. It's like, <laughs> um, but yeah, man, at this point, like as long as I can um, stay healthy, you know, um, I'm, this is like, something that I really enjoy doing and something that I'm going to continue to do. So, and, and most likely here at, you know, ATT, you know, I just told Paul, I was like, look, if we move, just don't go too far. I mean, I'll follow you, but you know, just don't go, you know, super, super far. So he's like, yeah, you know, if we have to move, then I'll, you know, I'll stay right around here. And I, you know, the school's moved a couple of times and mm-hmm. guys have followed, I've listened to all the podcasts, you know, Chris, he started out at like knockout fitness and Mm -hmm. he's, the gym's moved a couple of times, but, um, yeah, man, I'm, like I said, like when I showed up, I was like, this is that, but I kind of have that personality. Like when I want to do something, like I just do it. So like when I moved to Colorado, um, some buddies were like, Hey, let's go play golf. So I just like bought golf clubs. I've been playing golf for like 10 years. Hey, we're gonna go snowboarding. I just like went online. I was gonna say, got a good the, deal. The snowboarding come up that bought way. a bought a snowboard and went, and you then go. you know, and then my wife took her snowboard and she didn't like it, so I switched to skiing. And it's just like you know, when I um, make up my mind to like want to do something, then I just I just uh, do my best to accomplish it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, oh, cool, yeah, man. man. Well, this is a fascinating dude. I really appreciate you sharing all this. It was fascinating just to to track this progression. I've I've I had only bits and pieces of it, so to hear the whole yeah. thing in long. I mean, form. I'm sure I'm sure we we skip some stuff, but you know, it's um. So a, last question. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever go back after after West Point to see the female commander that sent you off back in? Uh, and I've lost track wherever you were before you got sent to West Point. Oh, um, no, but, uh, because I didn't really have like a relationship with her, Mm -hmm. but I did, um, keep in touch with the, the prior, the previous commander that gave you the, the guy who wrote me the recommendation, um, his name was Chief Allgood. He was a oh chief, wow what chief, a what a name Allgood. It's all good, man. Chief, Chief Warrant Officer Allgood. Um, yeah, I kept in touch with him. And then I've I've kept in touch. Haven't talked to him in a while, but the guy who was, because um, when I enlisted at the time, I thought I wanted to be an army doctor. Mm-hmm. And so the guy who um, was my basic training company commander, name is Captain Lee McFadder. Now he's like a lieutenant colonel or something. Um, but he's still in the army and he's doing like like medical stuff or whatever. So he had, he told me about, um, there's like a, a medical school that the mm-hmm. government actually owns and runs. And I thought about going there. I have a, guy that I know from West Point that actually ended up going there, but I just decided to get out. I I didn't want to, I didn't want to ever have to deploy again. I was like, that's just not, not for me. Mm -hmm. You know, like people always say like, Oh, like, you know, everybody ends a hero. Like, no bro. Like you find out a whole lot about yourself. Like I'm not the guy that like runs to danger. I'm not, I'm not that dude, you know? And so, um, it's cool to say, and I'm glad that I've done it. Like I wouldn't change really much about my life because it's kind of like made me who I am, and I I like my life. But yeah, you you definitely find out find out a lot about yourself, bro. Like it's yeah, 
you're like, nah, this is, I don't know how, I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people, especially like, dude, you'll see these people. They're like, I saw this guy on LinkedIn the other day. He's like 40 years old. He like just joined the army, became like an army ranger. And like, now he's like 55. He's like still serving. I'm like, dude, I couldn't do it when I was 22. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's, uh, it's a crazy life. And and there's like, there's things that give me like nostalgic about it. And there's aspects of it that I missed, um, even now, but the, it's like that, it's like that clarity of like when you break up with like a, you get out of a bad relationship and then there's those times when you like miss that person and then you're like, Oh, but they were insane. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you, you only remember like the good stuff unless you really like sit and think about it. You're like, no, these are the reasons why I broke up with this person or these this are the how reasons I why I got in and day out. Day out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool, so, man. Well, thanks for having me, man. Dude, this was, thank this was you. Fun, go, bro. go to the bathroom. This guy drank <laughs> basically an entire gallon of water. No, no, probably only <laughs> like a half a gallon or something. <laughs> but still. Um, I, I was watching the UFC fights last night and I, I had quite a few beers, so I needed a, my mouth is like super dry when I was rolling. And I was like, what is this? And I was like, oh, it's because I'm, <laughs> it's because I was drinking last night. All right, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me, man.